Welcome to the Kent Lab Podcast, featuring long-form conversations offering wisdom, hope, and community. Now here's your host, Kent Lapp. Hello, friends. My name is Kent Lapp, and welcome to this episode of the Kent Lapp Podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Amy Romero. Amy is the founder, owner, and president of Love & Science, a digital business strategy boutique that specializes in online visibility, content strategy, e-commerce optimization, organic optimization, and data analysis for businesses of all sizes and locations. Love and Science bridges the gap between user intentions and business objectives by balancing emotional reactions with logical requirements, very smart, and is a Google Premier Partner. Amy and her husband, Jesse, are devout believers and attend the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. Amy recently launched PrayForOurLand.org as an effort to draw people across our land into the hope and love of Christ through prayer. Amy and the Love and Science team have actually put together a business help during this COVID-19 crisis that you may find useful. Simply click on the link in the show notes on Apple Podcasts or YouTube to access this free help online. Amy is also offering a free 30-minute consultation to any or all of our listeners. So if that could be helpful to you, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. It seems to me that can be very helpful with just about anything related to your website, SEO, lead funnels, optimization, etc. So if you could use some help there or maybe just a second opinion, you may schedule your free 30-minute call using the Calendly link in the show notes on either Apple Podcasts or YouTube. And I encourage you to do that as we have worked with Amy and her team in the past and have found them very enjoyable and uh, very helpful. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use for your podcasts and also check out our YouTube channel as well as we are quite active on YouTube. We also have an active email newsletter and would love for you to be part of that. So simply go to kentlap.com and enter your email in the email subscription box. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, simply at Kent Lap. And lastly, if you enjoy this conversation with Amy and have a friend or family member that you think may enjoy it as well, would you go ahead and forward the link to this episode to them? I would really appreciate that. Without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Amy Romero. Enjoy. Amy Romero, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I want to jump in actually on um, PrayForOurLand.org. You've been posting a lot about PrayForOurLand.org. Yeah. What is that? It's just a website that I recently made on Wix. Oh, <laughs> your PrayForOurLand.org. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't realize it was you. Yeah. Uh, my family and I have been talking about doing something for a long time, and like everything is just so negative and horrible right now. Mm-hmm. And I had this, um, I just had this really strong desire to insert a positive headline because people don't read articles and they're just like saturated and horrible negative headlines and everybody's just so lost and freaked out right now. And I just thought this is a good time to put something out there and try to just insert something positive. So I had this thought of like twofold I want to interrupt people's lives with something positive, interrupt Mm -hmm. that flow of negativity with something positive. Um, And then on the flip side, you know, I'm a Christian. I know a lot of Christians and I feel like in some ways we're kind of disenfranchised. We're not really, Mm -hmm. 
we're not really joined together at the level I feel like we should be or could be. So the kind of flip side of it is like trying to just encourage everybody to join in prayer at Mm -hmm. 8 o'clock central. So I've been like telling my Bible study, telling different people, like let's just all at that time, you know, kind of join together and pray for this country for... You know, we we specifically said pray for our land because we didn't want it to be like, you know, just America. Right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And uh, so just trying to kind of like encourage people to to recognize that they can join together and pray against Mm -hmm. these horrible things that are happening. Pray for our country. Pray for these people and pray for our globe and uh, and actually believe that something positive might happen. Mm -hmm. So what is on the... uh if someone goes to prayforourland.org, I would have definitely went to it if I knew and had known it was your <laughs> your thing. We've been kind of um, weird about it. But I haven't uh, I haven't gone on there. So what what do you have? What's the content on there? And so people do not actually pray together, say via Skype or or Zoom. I guess Skype's kind of outdated, but uh, people aren't doing that. They're just praying wherever they are across the country every night at eight PM Central. Yep. I see. Yeah, and I mean, what's on there is basically like mostly just my my dad and I writing right now, and then my brother and sister-in-law um, really wanted to put something together on the prayer side, like more more explicitly about prayer. Mm. So we have um, we have like a prayer request form, which is like we're still kind of trying to work out all of what we want to do. It's been absolutely mind-boggling, like receiving these forms. We get probably 20, 30 a day. You get 20 uh, or 30 prayer requests a day? Yeah. And it's wild. And um, yeah, I know. And you you would expect some measure of madness and there is like a little bit of like, oh, you know, that's really (laughs) something's off. Oh, okay. (laughs) But a lot of it is... Almost like a spam prayer request. (laughs) A lot of it is really legit. I've had real like, you know, I've had people write in like just kind of beautiful prayers that they're praying, just like send them off, you know. Um, I think what's kind of most shocking about it is just like people are going and Googling in like how to pray, Hmm. asking about prayer, trying to figure this out. You know, a lot of prayers of just like people who are really afraid, um, people who want healing, um, people who are like looking for reconciliation. Like it's just been nuts. I have not, I did not anticipate anything like that. It's been really interesting. So, I mean, they come in and as those forms come in, we're praying over them. Um, my sister-in-law aggregates them and like distributes them to my family and we all pray about them. Really? Yeah. That's really, really cool. <laughs> it's um, super strange, but it's Anyone can meaningful. do this, but you guys did it. I mean, you have a little bit of an extra advantage, I guess, on knowing a lot about a little bit about websites and stuff. Yeah. But still, anyone could do it, and you guys did it, and you're getting twenty or thirty prayer requests a day. So on the site, you have a blog component to it. We have a blog component. Um, Dad and I just wrapped up uh, an Easter series, so we did like eight days up to Easter. So each day, kind of covering another little facet of the story. Um, and I, I like ran some Instagram and Facebook ads for that, ran some A-B tests on the creative, all that sort of boring data stuff in addition to trying to be a Christian. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been cool, you know. So how are you getting people onto the website? If you're um, getting 20 or 30 requests a day, that, you're getting some people on this website. Yeah, it's uh, right now, it's mostly through advertising, you know, low dollar advertising, just um, 
I've been working on the organic side, but it's it's not that easy to launch a brand new domain, brand new everything, and get any kind of traction. So we do have some organic traffic, um, you know, social traffic, and then we've been running some Google ads. Daniel, my brother, has been running Google ads, and then I've been doing some Instagram and Facebook. Hmm. Now, why are these people... How would this be different than someone going to a church website, for example? Like what... Um, where was the the need that you saw to create this as opposed to the, them just going to a church website and putting in a request there? I guess part of it for me is just, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, but um, I just feel like there's so many factions and I want people to go to church. You know, I want them to find a church. Um, one of the most challenging things for me is just like identifying I'm just trying to point people back to the Bible. So mm-hmm. like all of the blogs and stuff that my dad has written, all of them are about introducing Jesus and encouraging people to go read the word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about like, hey, come get everything you need from this website. This stuff is super simple and basic and it's not getting into like real deep stuff. It's just kind of like, hey, this is this is what Jesus says. Right. Are you interested in it? You know, yeah. read something. Yeah. And um, just kind of trying to pull out these words from the scripture that are just so full of peace and hope and uh, joy, you mm-hmm. know, when we're in the middle of just kind of a nightmare, a dark mm-hmm. nightmare, um, and hoping that people see that glimmer of light and they just reach out to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really supposed to necessarily be like a gathering place and I don't know exactly what we're going to do about the prayer stuff. Um, We've been talking about maybe putting together just some resources of like, hey, this is what the Bible says about prayer. And, you know, here is like pray through the Psalms, um, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just been really, we're just throwing stuff out there because we're kind of trying to, I think we all have like different feelings of like what God's kind of putting on us. You know, Mm -hmm. each one of us have, have felt very much like, boy, we need to do something. And then, you know, we have this digital side. That's what we do all day, every day. Yeah. And I always think, why the heck can't we use this stuff to, um, to push something forward that's meaningful in the yeah. grand scheme of eternity yes. and not just like making somebody a couple extra bucks. Right. I love that. I, I mean, I, I really love that. I commend you for what you're doing. It sounds fantastic. The people that are writing in with their requests, are they mostly unchurched people? I think we're getting a mix. Um, It's really interesting because we'll have people asking for like, send me a prayer. Like, how can I pray? We have people who are definitely like on the right path and they're just putting something out there and saying, I'm praying over this country and, you know, participating in that way. Um, I think what's really crazy about it is just like the, um, what is going on in your life where you reach out to Google to get some kind of right sense of how this works. You know, to me that means that they they probably don't have a church that is like giving them some venue for this. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a personal community because, like, I need prayer. I have people that I will reach out to to pray for me. Right. You know, starting with my family, <clears throat> and then I've got my handful of friends that like I'm gonna say, "Hey, man, I've got this going on. Like, will you pray for me?" For somebody who's gonna like go Google this and try to figure out where to find prayer. You know, who are these people? I don't know. Mm. I don't know that much about them right now. Um, And I'm trying not to use data to be creepy. 
Mm-hmm. So <laughs> mostly just trying to let them like, hey, you want to, I'm going to pray for you. As soon as I see them come in throughout the day, I'm praying for them. And then, wow. like I said, you know, we're aggregating and sending them off. So my brother and I both get them right away and are praying over them as they come in. And then uh, they get kind of shipped around to our family and we're all praying for them. Are there particular areas geographically? Uh, like, are these mostly people from... America or are they around the world? And if America or, and, and even inside of America, say, are there kind of hot spots? Yeah. So it's America almost exclusively. We've got some UK popping in right now and we'll see as, as uh, we get better on the optimization side um, where people show up organically. But uh, the hot spots are really New York, California, and Florida. That's where we're seeing the most stuff coming mm. in. And why would you say... California, New York, and Florida. Sometimes it's just population density. Okay. Um, but I think New York in particular, I'm getting a lot of like fear around COVID, pray mm. for my family and for protection, and I'm a nurse or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I'm thinking that's probably a big one there. Um, and I really don't know with California other than just like, I mean, I've got a lot of family in California. About 50% of my family is California. 50% of my family is New York. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't actually told any of our family that is in either of those places what we're okay. doing. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> so that. So it's probably not them. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's not cool to be a Christian in either of those places. Right. And, yep. I, you know, that wouldn't really surprise me if that's part of the, like, reach out of, like, just trying to look for light in the darkness, mm-hmm. you know? Hmm. Hmm. Are you using Facebook ads? Yeah, for a little that bit. At all? Okay. Are you are you targeting? I mean, what's great about Facebook ads? You can get pretty s- specific with targeting. Are you targeting unchurched people, or are there? Are there's it's really difficult to target, especially after like Cambridge Analytica. Facebook has really limited your targeting options, and like faith is one that's really touchy. It's really difficult mm. to do any kind of targeting around that. Um, and I didn't want to target anybody. I wanted to just like make it totally wide open. So I okay. literally have zero targeting at all from oh, like a okay. demographic standpoint. Gotcha. Um, and I'm collecting data and seeing what kind of people respond. Um, and what's really weird is we're seeing stuff skew male, which I find really interesting. Um, and I mean, I could hypothesize about why that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Um, I think we're probably going to put a little bit more focus on Instagram, which skews younger. Mm-hmm. And this is my my thought process with that. Not that older people don't need the Lord, but um, I feel like the generation, you know, this 18 to 34, they don't have the same level of experience of like what, what our world used to feel like, mm-hmm. whether or not we want to say like, oh, you know, things are moving in hundred percent the wrong direction or whatever, but like you have people who are still kind of entrenched in like more of the morality that we had as a country, like the general kind of moral principles. Um, and I feel like these younger people, they don't have that same anchorage. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, what was the Cambridge Analytica that you mentioned? I don't know anything about that. Uh Man, um, my brothers would be better talking about it than me. But basically, like, uh, all of this privacy stuff, I don't know if you've seen or caught wind of, like, GDPR, the global data protection. I think it's... No, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, so um, all that stuff is just uh, basically 
there's been a huge surge of like upset over data. Cambridge Analytica was related specifically to the um, the like political side of things. So oh, it was like, uh, and why Facebook's had to go um, sit in Congress and all that stuff. Like, oh, okay. All those hearings and yeah, things. That, when that was happening, I was reading the headlines and paying a little bit of attention, but that was, I don't know, was that a year and a half ago? It was a while back. Oh, it seems like a while ago. Yeah, it was, but they, they shifted a lot of things. And I mean, uh, right now, like there's a lot of, uh, you need to be allowed as a user to like, remove your data you need to be able to say hey you got to get rid of my data and um, it's actually like an extremely challenging and weird and probably good thing Um, but it does like put a damper on trying to just like run a website as a regular person and stuff like that interesting yeah what are your um what are some of your hypotheses around why your prayer requests are skewing mail i think that men tend not to have the same level of community as women do. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. And uh, so I would think maybe it's just something to do with that. You know, them mm-hmm. like in in a little bit more solitude, a little more suffering and silence, a little more like looked at as being, you know, this. The, I'm scared that your listeners are going to think I'm a sexist. <laughs> Uh, but, I wouldn't be worried about that at all. But um, <laughs> just, you know, like men, for better or worse, they're perceived as being the strong ones that you're looking mm-hmm. to for support. You right. know? So like they may, you know, feel like they have to kind of keep it together. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just been, it's been interesting. And, you know, the data is not, we don't have massive data as of yet, but that's what I'm seeing pretty clearly mm-hmm. um, in what we have done so far. That's fascinating. And I'm 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 actually really happy to hear that because I don't know how it is say right now or in the last couple of years but historically if you look at church attendance in America across the board it is more it's more female is more the majority of your average Sunday morning church attenders um that's casting with a, an extremely broad net and you know I mean there's a lot to 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 dig into there but Strictly church attendance across the board, it's more female than male. And one of the things that having read um, Jonathan Edwards on Revival, I can see the book right there. Yeah, that's the title, I think. It's just Jonathan Edwards on Revival. Um, It was about the awakening in Northeast, Jonathan Edwards, 1740-ish, mid-1700s. And one of the things that, uh, that was the first book that I read on that revival. And one of the things that stood out to me immediately, and he talks about it in the book, is that um, it was it was very, it wasn't male driven, but young men were being converted at the same rate as young females and in any age category. Um, and then uh, reading another book recently that was referred by Ray, our former lead pastor, The Inextinguishable Blaze. And it was written in... Uh, not any time recent. Actually, the book is so old; it smells like a it smells like a used uh, book corner of like an old antique store or something I like that. I saw it like on it actually Instagram. smells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the inextinguishable blaze, and um, <clears throat> I think it was written in the fifties or sixties, actually. So the book is not recent. Um, and and you have to kind of get through the first chapter because it talks about some of the political history in England and things when when where the awakening started. But after you get through the first chapter or two, man, it just 
it really drew me in and it's all and it really does a really great job on walking through the great awakening both in america but most of it well it's in america and and england but um it's another thing that pops up in that book too is when revival hits it's male and female you know so um it would be great if one of the outcomes of everything that we're dealing with in our times is uh, is a revival to happen um but the other thing that's that happens in these at least in these two books talking about the revivals is um education education is absolutely a key part of that revival these preachers were not just going around preaching and saving souls and moving on but they were doing they cared about education almost i mean most of them like this is it's noticeable uh and so in our day, what's what I love about our day is you can put up a website, prayforourland.org. And that's, that's, well, it sounds like there's some, there's an educational component to that with your blogs and so forth. So I know we can't formulate revival. We wouldn't want to, even if we could, cause it wouldn't be real, but, um, there's some, I mean, we, we can pray for it to happen and we can work towards that end, you know? We've been praying for revival. Like since I started praying, I've been praying for revival. It's just part of like what I'm asking God for. And I think that we as Christians should ask God for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, there's this horrible quote, I think it's um, Spurgeon. And he, he basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says like, if sinners be damned, let them like crawl over our you know, just yes. how in the world are you going to let them go yes. without every doing everything in your power yes. to stop it? Yep. Basically, if a sinner is going to go to hell, it's going to have to be over our dead bodies, more yeah. or less, right? Yeah, pretty much. It sounds like something Spurgeon would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that quote's always really moved me. And, that, and it is like, if we believe what we say we believe, mm-hmm. what the heck is more important than trying to win souls to Christ? Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And one of the things that has helped me in recent years is I think a little bit of a shift in worldview is probably not the right term. Theology is probably a better term. But when you stop and think about like what's going on, what do we believe to be true? There is a God who always has been and always will be. He chose, didn't need to, because he had the he had the Trinity, so he didn't need community. You and I are not here because God needed anything. I mean, he was he was fine. Um, he didn't even really need he didn't even need the universe, but for whatever reason, decided to create it with his own word. And then within there, at some point in way in the middle of this huge, massive universe, we can't even understand is this little thing called Earth, and on Earth is us created beings. And when you wrap your mind around, we are going to die and there is a God and he created this and you can be right with him. And here's how that to me is a lot different than, you know, Hey, there's a God sized hole in your heart. And wouldn't you please accept Jesus because your life could be so much better. You know, like that doesn't even, um, that's not super compelling. Because what if that person doesn't feel much of a need? That doesn't change their need. It doesn't change their need, but I think people need it bad. And I think like when we see the factions in society and we see like what people want to lean into about themselves, like um, I was telling somebody the other day, like uh, when it comes to business, I like to lead with, hey, I'm a Hispanic woman 
um, tech business owner because it gets me somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I got mm-hmm. a I got a scholarship for being a you know a Hispanic kid that wasn't an idiot, basically. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, you lean into that stuff because it's so prized mm-hmm. in our society. But why is that? You know, what's so great about these weird little identities that we're trying to to find community in? Like we are just arranged in such a way that we need to belong. Mm-hmm. And it's crushingly sad to see people trying to belong to these transient, broken, like, you know, just depressing identities. Yes. You know, yes. it's just, uh, that's really sad. And I yes. think that they need God, just like I need God, yep. you know, and they're looking always as like tri- trite as the God-shaped hole sounds like, that's what we, be, we we're meant to belong to him, yes. you know? Yes. Yes. Well, it's, it is true. Um, I think what the, the, the thing that helped me was there is a way of looking at it where it's a very man centered religion and it's like, we are the center of the universe, but we're not quite whole. We need God. So we need God to make us whole and then we're good. But that's not the way it is at all here. Like God is the center of our existence. Um, And yes, any person is going to have their moments of doubt, their moments of question, their moments of fear, uncertainty, what happens after I die. Um, They just are. I'm not saying it's every day, all day, but I don't care. You know, at some point they're going to have these questions if their faith is not in Christ. They just, I mean, they just are. It's not because... I prefer the Christian religion over um, other religions. It's just because this is the truth. This is the way that it is. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you in that we all do actually have this guy's God-sized hole, but I also think it's important that God is at the center um, and not man, and that's something that um, that not everybody... Not everybody... Um, seems to believe, you know? We have eternity in our hearts. I always kind of come back to that. And uh, there's just this weird war between the temporal and the eternal in us, you know? And uh, I've been, lately I've just been like obsessed thinking about Peter walking on the water. Hmm. I have not been able to stop thinking about that story. Like hmm. it's been torturing me. I think it's probably just because of like the current state of affairs. But it's this um, this vision of Peter locking in on Jesus. If you if you are who you say you are, like call me, let me walk to you on the water. He starts walking on the water. He's locked into Jesus's face, and mm-hmm. he is walking on the water. And then all of a sudden, the wind and the waves, which obviously in that story, Jesus obviously has control over everything, right? He's got this incredible sovereignty. But in that moment, even in that moment, he can be distracted by the waves and the wind and start to sink. That's a great point. And it's just so crazy to me, right? We have this like, we are always wrapped up in what's immediately around us, what we can see and what we can touch. And it's so rare that we like permeate and kind of pierce that and reach out into what's eternal. But that 
thing in us is driving us to try to find identity in all these things, to try mm-hmm. to find belonging and community. It's that's the eternal thing mm-hmm. that's fighting there. And, yeah. uh, and we're always doing whatever we can to slap it down. Yes, we really are. I mean, at the end of the day, every person needs something that they can, they can set their feet on that's not going to move. You know, like everyone needs a bedrock and only Christ can be the true bedrock. And I think what we're going through now is showing either explicitly or implicitly, a lot of people are experiencing this now, you know, your bedrock actually can't be your job. Your bedrock actually can't be your business. Your bedrock actually can't be your spouse or your family or your, you know, or your social status or your political, you know, acumen, whatever. Um, the only bedrock that's going to stand the test of time is going to be Jesus Christ. And everyone is going to be, until they find that, there's going to be a searching. That's, that's just, uh, that's the way it's designed, and it should be. That searching is good, like that's from the Lord. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really why we wanted to start this thing now. Like why I felt such pressure to just like, just get it up now. Um, and I built it on Wix, like I hate Wix. The whole thing is just a nightmare. Um, but I felt like I got to just get this thing out because right now it's so clear to everybody how transient these things that they've been putting their faith in are. Mm-hmm. And people are full of fear mm-hmm. and uh, they don't know what's going to happen next. And Jesus offers peace that passes understanding and hope and joy that's just unbelievable, you know? So my thought is while they're in this state of fear and stress, and I mean, I myself, like I keep falling into it. I've been telling everybody when they ask me how I'm doing, I say I'm sinusoidal. So it's just like, uh, you know, I'm up here and I'm stoked. And then I'm like, oh, but everything's going bad. And and I'm like, but it doesn't matter because the Lord and, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, if I, who like actually have Jesus in my life can feel this much angst over the situation, I just want to give people a lifeline, just point back to Jesus. Yeah. 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 That's really great. You mentioned, um, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your faith. You mentioned since you started to pray, did you grow up in a Christian home? I'd love to hear more about your, the, I guess you could call it the journey of your faith. The journey of my faith has been pretty much faith from like being able to walk. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, my my family's Christian. My my parents are Christian. My dad um, always made a point to read the Bible with us as kids, and like straight out of King James too. Like mm. there was no messing around. Okay, we did have a <laughs> we did have this sweet comic Bible though called the Picture Bible. Okay, and um, it's like I think it's out of print, but I always find like a copy like every chance I get for like a new a new addition to the family or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm always like they got to have the Picture Bible. It's so awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, one of my earliest things that I know of, like from my faith was, uh, me getting worried that when I eat my food, it's hitting Jesus in the head because he lives in me. Oh, wow. That's a pretty young (laughs) thought to have, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's always been, it's not always been quite right, but, uh, you know, my, my understanding of Jesus as part of my life has gone really like as far back as I can remember. Um, and you know, it has its ups and downs and people, I, right now I'm trying to do what I can to like build my faith. Um, I feel like it's, 
you just have to work on it all the time, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, over the years, it's, it's been, it's really been pretty steady. Um, both my brothers, very, very steady in their faith. Um, my parents, very steady in their faith. Um, my grandpa actually started the first Spanish-speaking uh, Nazarene church in Rochester, New York. Really? Yeah. yeah Your so. grandfather? Mm-hmm. Started the first Nazarene church in Rochester, New the York. The first Spanish-speaking Nazarene oh, church okay. in Rochester. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think so. If somebody like goes and Googles it, I don't know. But I don't know that's if it's cool anymore. <laughs> but it's, it is cool that he started that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But so in, not to get too far off track, we'll come back to this, but you mentioned Rochester, and you grew up in, in New York, but it wasn't Rochester, though. Some of it was. So I I grew up in Batavia. My dad works for the state and he has for most of my life. Like before that, my parents were both um, teachers in Southern California in the LA area. Um, And I was there with them early, early in life. And then uh, my dad got a job for the state and then it was kind of like all over the place. We lived Mm -hmm. in Buffalo, Batavia, um, outside of Binghamton, uh, Albany, and then... um, as the years have gone by, he's been more and more like in Manhattan as well. I see. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned your dad. Do they live down here? They live in New York still. Okay. In Manhattan? No, they live in Albany. Oh, okay. Albany gotcha. Area. Gotcha. Um, and uh, now, have you had sort of a, a, a reawakening or reinvigoration in recent years? Because... You did work actually on the Woodtex website years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, may, we probably just didn't get into it because it was just a working relationship related to a website that built and sold story <laughs> sheds. Uh, but I feel like um, on social media recently, like you're posting a lot more about well, prayer and things of faith. Like, is that has this always been, or is this because of the virus you're doing that more? Or? It's it's always been, and I am trying to do more. Um, I've been thinking a lot for the last couple of years like uh, that I need to use what God's given me to to propel like this thing forward, to proselytize mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. some measure, right? Um, but uh, internally, you know, it's been the same. It's been the same. Uh, maybe the biggest, I have heard from other people that I, I seem different after, I read the Bible four times last year. And the first time when I read it, I read it in two months the first time for the first time. I've I've read the Bible, I don't know how many times, like, you know, at least once a year for a really long time. Wow. But um actually I saw that you I don't know if you were you may have been the reason that I decided to read it in two months because you did. You that, beat right? me bad. <laughs> <laughs> you almost did it in half the time. I did it in three and a half months. Uh, yeah. I did it. You in read two the months. entire Bible through in two months? I did, and it was wild. That's so frustrating to me. You you should do it. It's great. You're um, the first person to know that I, that beat me at three and a half months. I'm sure lots of people have done it in much shorter time. And I will say, for the record, and I'm not proud of this, but when I did it in three and a half months, that was the first time I read the Bible through front to back without deviating or, you know what I mean? Um, so I do not read the Bible through once per year. I want to start. but yeah. uh, so. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I feel like the truncated time is shocking. Like, I agree. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah. It draws connections that you just like yes. don't see when you're just reading yes. bits and pieces here and there. I totally agree. I 
that was one of the things that stood out to me the most when I read it through in three and a half months was how the whole Bible, I viewed it for the first time in this kind of way, I viewed it as a single book as opposed to, what is it, 66 different books that, that are kind of compiled together. And it really is. Like it is meant, it is a book. It's And then there's books within, but <clears throat> yeah, I, that really stood out to me too was I did not see that coming was how different themes would stand out from reading it through in a short amount of time. Oh, yeah. What were some of the themes that stood out to you? What did you pick I up mean, on? I mean, just Jesus so existing all the way through, you know, like is just wild. Like that story is so clear all the time, you know, just from start to finish. And, uh, you know, I've read it, I've read it a lot of times, so it's not like there was something, you know, totally brand new in there, but just, I think, the thing that I got out of it the most was that it required sacrifice. And that's been Mm. something I've been chasing since. And which is why I ended up reading it another three times that year um, was because like I couldn't do other things to make that happen. And it wasn't a huge sacrifice. I mean, Mm. it's like what 45 minutes of reading a day really is all it takes. Um, which For, just is to read lot. it through in one year uh, or in, in two a months. In I two think, months, I think it was like forty-five minutes a day. I'm a quick reader, okay, but uh, not crazy quick. I'm not Tim Ferriss quick or anything. Yeah. but um, I, it it was enough that it's like you can't watch that show. You have to get up early. Right. You know, like there's a few things that for me to have a work and do other stuff. Like yes. I, I needed to get up a little earlier. I needed to to say no to some things. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that's the thing that just like was so transformational about doing it in, in the couple of months. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was, I felt more connected than I have like maybe ever felt in my life because I don't know, I was, you know, I, I was having these thoughts of like, pray for this person, pray for that person. And you're finding out that they needed you to pray for them at that time. And oh, like okay. that kind of just like connectivity and then I, I'm like, okay, well, I just got to keep reading the Bible this fast over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's like, it hasn't been the same. And now this year, my goal is to try to find a way to, uh, to do a better job at prayer and meditation. Mm, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate that. I'm, I am planning on reading the Bible three times this year. Mm. I'm a little behind on my first, my first read because things have been so out of whack. Um, but yeah, just how fast to dig do in. you read? Like, is there a words per minute or something? I don't okay. know. Okay. It's like forty-five to an hour is what I had to spend to do the two months. Man, I think I feel like you must read pretty fast. I I never I never learned to speed read or to read really. I read relatively slow because I either need to like soak in it and like really get it and to be interested and follow the storyline, even with any book. Or if I get to skimming, I feel like I don't catch it. And then I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Then I skim even quicker. Next thing you know, I'm really not getting it. Like I don't, so I'd love to be able to read a little, a little quicker. I don't have to double it, but just a little quicker. Do you kind of cut out the edges of the pages? I know Tim Ferriss does that. I try, I have tried to do some of that stuff. Um, It's so hard for me. I have to think so hard about like not like turning my eyes back and forth and all that stuff that it's like not fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like reading the columns. Like, uh, like I, um, I have a bunch of different Bibles, different translations, and I've been kind of like trying to read different translations and stuff. Mm. Um, and it's definitely a lot easier for me to, to read through it if it's the columns, like not all Bibles work that way, but that helps because you don't have to 
there's no losing your place. And then I like to use uh, a card. Okay. Oh, okay. Because that also keeps you from like missing your sentence start and stuff oh, okay. like that. So I, I usually have like a little card and I'm rolling through it. But then also like um, I'm I'm familiar with it. You know, mm-hmm. there's not uh, so I'm not missing things like I would if it was like a brand new book. Right. Yep. So when you're reading the Bible every day, or if you were to read the Bible right now, um, not for us, but you're just going to read it. You're going to use a card to track where you're at? Do you do that with a regular book too? With other books? No. Or just the Bible? Just the Bible. Interesting. I probably should do it with a regular book. Yeah. But if I'm reading just like, because I'm just like trying to read, then it right. doesn't really, you know, I don't have any, to have that, the time frame limitation is really what pushed me to do I the different things that I need to do to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that with the thought process of reading it through in a relatively short amount of time. You do pick up on that all of history points to Jesus Christ. And the Bible points to Jesus Christ too. So for me personally, I've I've shifted sort of I grew up in a more dispensational kind of view, which is like you know, God's got a plan for this section of time and God's got a plan for this section of time. And then this section of time is different. And then, you know, that type of thing. Um, and uh, reading the Bible through in three and a half months was instrumental in shifting me over a little bit more towards a covenantal view, which is like, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's, God has one people, one plan, one purpose. Um, and like, for example, like with everything pointing to Christ, you know, you can read the story of Adam and Eve and think, hmm, interesting story. Okay, the first humans, that's fascinating. Here was Adam and here was his wife. And um, then there was this tree of knowledge and there was an, an apple or whatever was on the, the fruit on the tree. And they ate it and, man, they shouldn't have. And then there was separation from God and, you know, and then God kind of had to to change his plan. And he comes up with something to to make it right. Um, and, uh, you know, isn't that a fascinating story? And the lesson is, you know, when you're tempted, don't cave. Well, part of that's true. You know, it's not necessarily untrue. It's just not the point of the story. You know, I mean, what you have here is you have, you have sort of a Christ, like a Christ figure in that Adam was the head of the human race. And that head of the human race failed us. So, like, we needed another head of the human race, Jesus Christ. Um, and so, I, I, I agree, like, when you read it through quickly, you can't help but notice that Jesus Christ is the focal point of the entire book, you know, cover to cover. But you see so much how necessary he is, too, like, um, reading through Leviticus and everything. It's That's a tough read, but... Mm. uh you have this like horrible repetition of, okay, get up and sacrifice and do this stuff and try to like, you know, cleanse these sins over and over again. And they are not, it's, it's an imperfect sacrifice. You know, it's incomplete. Yes. And uh, you have to have this like, you know, these priests uh, interceding for you and they're not perfect. So they just have to keep doing this. It's this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like horrible cycle that you're trapped in and Mm -hmm. you know the world that we live in today post jesus coming and dying Mm -hmm. it's like so different than what is described like before that yes yeah yeah you just see like the fulfillment Mm -hmm. you know and the completion uh to to a different degree i think Mm -hmm. when you when you zoom through it i agree are you more reformed theologically i don't know 
Okay. I don't really... So I'm really bad at knowing like different theological things. Like yeah. I just read the Bible. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and try to figure out what I think from it's that. Not a, well, that's wonderful. There's not a problem with that at all. Um, you just mentioned Spurgeon. He was reformed. And you mentioned you mentioned the Village Chapel, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we've had some back and forth with the Village Chapel, by the way. Really? Yeah, Emmanuel. Yeah. Really? It's a wonderful church. It was ringing a bell, and so I called someone. It's like, yeah, we we know about that church. It's a great church. I think our pastor knows your pastor or something. Yeah. Um, how long have you been going there? Like 12 years or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was at uh, Midtown Fellowship, but I really like Village Chapel mostly because they read through the Bible. So, like, it's not, um, I don't know, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with, like, topical-type studies, mm-hmm. but... um. I just like the context of we're reading straight through chapters of the Bible. We're going to read straight through a book of the Bible. And Mm -hmm. it's not just like, I feel like it leaves less space for um, your own thing. It's easy to cherry pick verses and kind of be like, here's what this all means. Like, let me grab these few things over here. Right, I agree. Yeah, yep. so that's what I really like about it. Yeah, that's great. And when you say read through, are you are you just saying like the pastor will preach through a book, or or you like or he reads a lot of scripture on every sermon? He reads a lot of scripture, so we okay. read, we will read the entire book in church. I mean, he talks about it afterwards, but we'll read through you know chapter by chapter segments. But there's nothing skipped. It's just okay. Yeah, if we're in Romans, we're going to read every word of Romans out loud in church. But not not in one not on one not Sunday. Not on one Sunday, no. But uh, like we'll okay. do a series that goes through Romans. Oh, and we'll fascinating! Get all of it. So if you were to have like a a series on the Book of Romans, you might say go chapter one or half a chapter one is the first sermon, mm-hmm. and the whole church will read out loud either the half of that chapter or the whole chapter, or whatever he's going to preach on that Sunday. He he reads it. We read along. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So we're not all. That would get real weird, right, probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know some churches do. There's some do verses some of that, and stuff that but, we'll read out loud together, and uh, yeah. they're. I think they're kind of like. I think their sort of background is like Presbyterian, which I don't know mm. that much about. So there's mm-hmm. kind of a lot of. Uh, there, there is like a lot of structure to it. I know mm-hmm. it's freaked out some of my friends when they'll come by, you know, because it's like, well, I don't like saying all this stuff out loud together or whatever. Really? But. We get that too at Emmanuel, <laughs> yeah. actually. So Emmanuel um, has some Presbyterian influences only because Pastor Ray Orland founded the church 11 years ago or so, and he was a Presbyterian, but Emmanuel was non-denominational, which I know the Village Chapel mm-hmm. was non-denominational too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there might be some similarities there. Well, one of the things that I've been hearing recently is, and I haven't read a study on this, although I feel like there was one that was referenced by someone, but this thing of this generation um, moving towards a little bit more of a high church, what you could think of as, we're probably going to scare some people off here, but a little bit more of a high church um Vibe is not the right word. Culture, way of doing things, practice, probably. And by high church, I just mean a little like some liturgy, for example. Um, like the Presbyterians have been doing this forever, and Anglicans and others. Um, and uh, and and so so we do that too. Like, well, the pastor will read something, and the congregation will read what's on the 
screen Mm -hmm. and go back and forth. It's not much and it only happens a time or two in every service. But I have had friends who are like, "Uh, that's a, that's kind of weird. You know, they're not used to it and they're more, I guess, more like Baptistic kind of cool churches. Um, (laughs) So what do you have thoughts on kind of this trend towards a more, um, structured approach. Structured approach, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that we see this all the time. Like, we we see this across all kinds of different things. Like, there was that whole um, maker movement that happened just, like, where all of a sudden all these nerds in New York City are wearing, like, suspenders and carrying axes around, you know? Like, you mm. have, like, this... Um, I think you kind of rebel against, like, where things are going. And I think in some ways this may be kind of like a push against how loose and open and everything goes stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I mean, that would be my guess is why we see that kind of thing. Um, just like you see in, in society is people kind of decide, I don't like this anymore. Or this is going too far in this direction. It's like an yeah. autocorrect. You know, you're yes. just like swinging back the other direction Yes. Um, to try to fix where you're going awry elsewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's high time to be honest. I mean, maybe some of it just comes down to personal preference. I think probably a lot of it does. So it's not a knock maybe on another way of doing it, but my knock on some ways though of doing church is when you're just not taking it seriously. It's like, really? That's like, this is, it's such a sacred privilege to be a church for starters. That is the one organization that's going to be here. You know, you can count on that. My business, maybe or maybe not. You know, other things, maybe or maybe not. The local organization, the local Rotary Club, you know, who knows? Like those things may or may not be around, but the church is going to be around. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a sacredness to being a church. And then there's a privilege and a, a grave responsibility. Or, or, or responsibility with a lot of gravity to be a pastor or a leader in a church, elder, whatever, deacon, to be involved in the church. And so when you start to take it, when, when, it, when the vibe is that, man, you're not taking this very seriously and we're trying a lot of gimmicky stuff to get people to come to church and there's just not much of a depth there at all and it starts to feel weird really quick. Yeah, um, I think we have a lot of problems in general in our culture with um, community and uh, needing needing something more um, structured, I guess. My only fear with structure is I'm always afraid because we're so, we so naturally want to like go by the, we want rules to live mm-hmm. by, you know? And I'm so right. scared that if we don't... Uh, I want to create a balance. What I what I want personally in my life is I don't want to accidentally turn the Bible into a rule book that now I don't need God anymore. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And I, I want very much to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I think yes. the way the scripture is written is really fascinating because you have people who think there are discrepancies there and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think what it is is like God is just, I mean, he's genius in the way that he that he built this thing. Mm-hmm. and. I need to be led by the Holy Spirit in order to make the right decisions and take the right path. Like yeah. it doesn't just tell me exactly in the Bible to do X, 
this exact way in every scenario. You still are faced with these like decisions and having to figure out, uh, what am I doing here? Yes. Yes. And, um, so I always get, uh, and I tend to be just very like anti, I, my like old handle when I was like a teenager on everything was like, Amy is anti. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, I can see that in your personality. Yeah. So Amy I, is anti. <laughs> yeah, I don't want, uh, I don't want anything to like become like a point of control, I guess that right. doesn't belong there. I, I want to stay open and I get scared of like, I don't want to get into a routine that becomes my religion. Do you know what I mean? I you totally know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think there's anything wrong with like, you know, you're saying the stuff, the call and response stuff in church. And I right. think some of that stuff is so beautiful. And when you know the stories behind like where it came from. And, yes. You know, like, like I love old hymns, for example. Yes. And it makes me so mad when people are like, oh, I don't like these. They're boring. And I just want to like. Yes. I to- I totally one hundred percent agree, and th- and that's where I th- maybe it's my personality, maybe it's just the way I am. I don't know, but I like churches that do church, and I have a strong distaste for churches that feel like they're playing church. Um, and I mean, I haven't been to many, but but sometimes you're vis- you know, I don't know, on vacation or whatever, and. Let's put it this way. I have been in a church before where I was like, this feels a little, this feels a little like playing church, you know? And that's just not, people should get tired of that very quickly. Like this is that we are opening up the holy word of God. It is, it is a bedrock. It is true. It's the most true thing about what we do, who we are, what's going on around us. Um, And, 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 and being drawn to the beauty of God. That's, that's too where like we need to allow room in our services to be drawn to the beauty of God because that's what changes lives. God is love. Like you have to prompt him to wrath, but God is love. And when you think about, when you think about the beauty of God and the depth there, I mean, that, that changes hearts, that changes lives. Um, and I agree, like there was a, like in the days of the Puritans or shoot, even the days of, we were talking about the Great Awakening earlier, and there was a lot of great hymns. There was a lot of great prayers that were written over that time too, but a lot of great hymns. You just had a sense that they were not messing around. This was not nominal cultural Christianity. Um, they weren't playing church. They were they were they were taking it seriously and they had some they had some insight into the beauty of god that still you can pick up on in those hymns yeah i totally agree with that and i find them so moving half the time i can't sing them cuz you're just like choked up trying right. to like get those words out they're so beautiful yeah um my dad said something to me like years ago now about church our our church today is more like a Christian TV show. You know, you mm-hmm. go for your little period of time on Sunday and then you go back into your life. There's mm-hmm. like no real connection there. And um, I was telling you about a, a podcast that I like, um, this cultural moment. Yeah. And it's been super fascinating to me because it, it talks a lot about our culture and community and where we're at today. And uh, I actually recently like, I actually reached out to my pastor to like disagree with him about something. 
and I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> and the reason I did it ultimately was because, um, because I thought it's easy to, it's easy for me to just discard this, um, and be a spectator in this community, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and I really want something deeper than that. And I think we all want something deeper than that. Yes. And, uh, you know, that, the, so the, the podcast, he talks a lot about, um, communities, like one of the key, like core things that you need as a human being. And when we don't have real face to face community, we end up in like a position of tribalism, Hmm. you know? So like now you start to rotate around, you aggregate around a single concept, you know, like just look at pretty much any thread on Reddit and you'll know Hmm. what, (laughs) what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I like this and that's what I aggregate around. And, um, it's harder and harder for us to disagree with each other face to face, you know, Um, because we're not in deep enough community to withstand that kind of thing. Yes. And I think technology is a problem. Um, I think like, you know, there's just the depth there. I was talking to somebody else just about like, how hard it used to be to tell somebody never mind about going to meet up with them somewhere. Mm. Like somebody's waiting for you at a restaurant. You're not going to like call that restaurant and say, Hey, do you see this girl with brown oh, hair and right. blue eyes? Good like point. let them know that I'm not coming. Yeah, you know? And now like true. you can cancel a plan <laughs> on a text message and turn your phone off and like it's over. You didn't have yes. to, there's no friction at all. Oh, it's a great point. I never thought about that. Yeah, so I just feel like that kind of thing, like all these things are are working against us when it comes to our community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, anything that fosters more community at church, I think is critical. And I think part of the, like, the issues that you see, like I remember having problems going to church and just being like, I just saw this person Saturday night drunk out of their mind. And now today they're here like everything's cool. And no one is saying a word to them about like what happened last night Mm -hmm. or where they need to be going. Like there's no one who's in community enough with them to talk with them or support them or to help them or to move them, you know, closer to God. Like what happened to iron sharpening iron? Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of let everybody live their lives next to you Mm -hmm. and you're not involved. It's Mm -hmm. not that messy and wonderful uh, communion. Yes. Well, don't you think that's a byproduct of nominal Christianity because you don't want to address someone because you don't want to offend them and then they might go somewhere else to church, you know, and they're not very committed. And so now you can't be very committed to them either. Maybe you're not even very committed. And so you don't really care, you know, and this nominal cultural Christianity, you know, Um, but community, community is a big deal. Uh, Our church talks about... um, I think this might have came from Ray, probably did, but you can be known or you can be impressive, but you can't be both, you know, and people want to be known. People have a deep, deep desire to be known. If you say you don't, I just don't believe you, you know, like people desire to be fully known and fully accepted, Um, but it's hard to be fully known in 2020, you know, like back to the technology, it's you get to kind of filter what you put forward and things. Um, but, but then also if, and this is where it comes to like the way a church does things or like the culture of the church, how you treat people, how you, how you go about doing community and things, honesty has to be, um, it has to be a key component if you're going to have true community, 
because there's no reason that, um, well, here's the truth. You're going to be more safe being honest with people sitting around you at a bar, pick a bar. Um, Generally speaking, you're going to be safer being honest there than at your church. And there's no reason that should be the case. You should be more safe at your church than at, at a random bar. You know, it's not a knock on. I think it's great that there's that there's an honesty and a safety at a bar, um, but it should at least exist to the same level in the church. You know, but um, so if there's not a if we can't be honest with each other about our sins, about what we struggle with, about our shortcomings, and so forth, well, then you're not going to truly know people, and then you're not going to have community. Well, I think on the like part of that though too is like um some churches are very open and honest and then there's no what happens next. And I think that's one of the other like huge issues in the church and not to just keep like ad- admitting like what a Christian slum I live in in my life, but like Babylon B is hilarious to me. I love that. I love that stupid website and uh they had this goofy headline that was like um woman confused about why she would need Jesus when she's so perfect already. Mm. And like the whole like concept of it was like, I've been going to this church. They're telling me everything I'm doing is fine. They know what I'm all about and it's all fine and good and okay. Mm. What do I need Jesus for? Why do you keep talking about this Jesus guy? You know? So like I have also seen churches that are like, yeah, every, every, everything's out in the open. I'm mm-hmm. honest about all this stuff, but I'm not going to call it sin. I'm right. not going to call it a problem. And yes. We're not going to call you on it, and we're not going to talk about what the truth is and the path that you need to be on it. Yes. The fulfillment that comes from adhering yes. to something real. Exactly. I totally agree. Um, speaking of, you had, I think, on your Facebook or Instagram, maybe both, but it was on one of the Pray for Our Land, um, prayforourland.org, right? It was on one of those posts, and um, I think it was actually just this past weekend with Easter. Um, you had something about um, Jesus saying, it is finished, and you said it's more than you might think. What, what do you have in mind there? Um, the idea of like, you know, if you're thinking about, okay, Jesus died, you know, that's the end. Like, um, uh, And even the disciples, they seemed to just really like, you know, Jesus was dead, and they were somehow still not expecting him to be risen. Um, And they're kind Mm -hmm. of in this weird state of like, they're downcast and they're depressed and, you know, it's finished. You say that it sounds final and negative, Mm -hmm. but it's not so much finished as it is completed. Right. The work that he came to do, he completed that work. Yes. And that's, you know, to me, that's what that means, you know, because you hear it is finished and you're not a Christian and, you know, what does that mean to you? Jesus is dead, but it's not finished like that. Yes. He's not finished. Yes. You know, he's completed the work that he came came to do. Yeah. I love that. One thing I think about is in terms of the finished work of Christ or the complete work of Christ is that for a believer, their past sins are forgiven. So that blood of Christ forgives your past sins. Um, unfortunately, uh, even though we become justified when, when we're saved, uh, we're not perfect yet. You know, like we still sin. So like not only are your past sins forgiven from that completed work of Christ, your current sins are also forgiven, you know? Um, but not only that, your, your future sins, next week, next year, next decade, 
Like chances are I'm going to sin again 10 years from now. There's a pretty good chance of that. All of that is taken care of under the blood of Christ. He's not going back on the cross again. You know, that was just once and done. It's complete. Um, so to me, that is like a, it's just more of the bedrock. It's more of a like, and that's really something you can, you can stand on that. Like those are promises you can claim and build your life around. Amen. Well, I'm glad we got into that. <laughs> <laughs> I can go for a long time. Yeah, I wasn't stuff. expecting that. Um, what about your grandfather? I don't know much about the Nazarene church. Was your dad raised in Nazarene church? What, what is that? Nazarene, um, I don't know too much about it anymore, honestly. Like when I was a kid, we went to a Wesleyan church and I always saw them as like similar. Um, Hmm. But, you know, I've never really subscribed to like these church doctrines or what I subscribe to. But um, yeah, that was just, you know, I don't know if my grandpa was raised Nazarene or what exactly, but uh, that was the, that was what he was in. And, you know, we're Mexican. So the Spanish speaking Hmm. thing happened. Okay. Yeah. Now, Wesley, and I also don't know much about them, but I'm assuming they come from John and Charles Wesley? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have really fond memories of the Wesleyan church that I went to. It was just like a little community church, and it was just full of kind, friendly, you know, not cool people. Mm. I really, I've been talking about that lately. Um, It's really attractive to think about going to like a cool church where everything's cool and the music's cool. but. There's this little weird church in Hollywood I go to um, usually a couple times a year, and it's a mess. Like, mm. they, their music is terrible. Half the time they have to stop in the middle of it and, like, start over. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. At least they have the guts to do it. Yeah, you know and there's, I mean? like, just a handful of people in there, and I just awesome. weep the whole time. Like, it's so meaningful mm. because, like, they, they're not – good at this yeah and they're doing it because they love jesus yeah you know yeah. and uh like they don't have any special gift for music yeah but they're like i'm gonna praise god yeah and it just slaughters me every single time but oh that's great that's kind of my memory of that wesleyan church was a similar type of thing you know you're you're putting up with people's weird you know stuff yeah um but you're in a community, like a real community. You yes. know, my dad used to drive the bus to go pick up the older people, you know, from their, um, I can never remember the right, nursing home. Yeah. I, I always want to say old folks old, home. Old person's home. Yeah. I think that's what you call it. <laughs> I that's feel a, like that's I, can't I think that's I think that's how it was referred when I grew up. <laughs> when I grew up, it was old folks home. you think it was home. like an old, old person's home? Is that how yeah. we say You said old folks home? Yeah. So it's a nursing home. Yeah. Okay. But we'd pick up we'd pick up the guys from there and drive them over. And, um, you know, just like you were just in a community with these people, yeah. you know? Yep. And you were helping each other and you were having your potlucks and you were going into that musty old weird basement with like the those like shutter things that close off the yep. the rooms, you know, <laughs> for your vac- vacation Bible school. And, yeah. you know, that was, that was nice. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like that. I haven't seen anything like that in Nashville. I mean, I really like yep. my church, but it's definitely cool, you know, and the music is like yeah. killer. Right. Yeah. That is one thing about being in Nashville is the, the bar is raised, I believe in most churches musically, which is, you know, that's fine. It's not all yeah. bad, but I think I agree with like, what it sounds like you were kind of drawn to there or sensed was this, just the spirit of authenticity. Yeah. I think people crave that. Maybe particularly, I don't know, maybe it's more people, like sounds like you're a little bit of a rule breaker and I definitely am too. Like maybe it's that personality or maybe it's everyone that craves authenticity. Um, 
And uh, so when you find it, like it's, you sense it and mm-hmm. um, it's attractive. But yet John and Charles Wesley, they were formidable guys, man. And uh, interestingly enough, I didn't know this until that book, The Inextinguishable Blaze, but they both preached quite a bit before they were saved. Really? Yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's, well, and this is probably why that Great Awakening was so timely. That was actually fairly common. Yeah, guys were preaching a lot before they were saved. Um, so it wasn't just like lay people that uh, were being saved, but it was like the clergy, <laughs> the pastors, you know, as well. And John and Charles Wesley, both. Yeah, they, they both preached before they were saved. Um, Charles Wesley was uh, reading the Luther's commentary on Galatians. He was in a hospital, actually. He felt thought, thought he was going to die. And um, he was reading scripture, and then he was reading Luther, the introduction to Luther's commentary on Galatians. And um, he just realized like his, his faith was in his works and it was not in, it wasn't, you know, what he then realized was like the way to be saved is through Jesus Christ alone, you know, and you can't attain it through your works. Um, But then that night, then um, he, he had a visitor and uh, I think he was reading some scripture with the visitor um, or maybe this was scripture he was reading on his own. I can't remember now, but he read Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Lincoln knows that verse because um, we've been mem- we memorized Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3 uh, in the last two months with all the kids. And um, there's not a, I've been reading Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3 for months every single morning. And um, it's really meant a lot to myself and my wife and with kind of where life's taken us in the last year. Um, So when I read uh, that Charles, the day he was converted, Charles Wesley read like that verse, he put a new song in my mouth, you know, song of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Like that verse was meaningful to him. And when you think like, oh man, was that 300 years ago ish? Like there was another believer, but not any believer, formidable, like Charles Wesley. And that verse meant a lot to him. It mattered to him. But here's that same verse, you know, 300 years later. It's amazing. It's amazing how like scripture can stand the test of time. And it does. Did they have anything in that book about their mom? Yes. Susanna, right? Yeah. Susanna. Yeah. Uh, I forget her maiden name. Yeah, it talked a little bit about Susanna. She was, she was uh, at the age of 13, she, I'm not going to get this right now, but at the age of 13, she could speak English and like, I want to say three other languages. She had read, like she was up on the times of the day and she had like pretty strong opinions at the age of 13. Yeah, she was, she was strong. There was one time where she was teaching the kids something and. um the kid uh, wasn't getting it. Uh, have you experienced that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the kids wasn't getting it. And she was saying like the same thing over and over. And uh, the dad, what was his name? Susanna was the mom. I can't think of the dad. Sam, I think Samuel. Pretty sure it was Samuel. Um, Samuel Wesley, or the husband anyway, was like, basically like, Really? You're going to keep repeating this? And she said something like, 
for them to get it, they have to hear it 20 times. And if I had only said it 19 times, saying it all of those times would have been to no avail. But by saying it the 20th time, it locked in and it worked. Like, yeah. I was like, whoa, this lady's, she's strong. I was think I'm not sure if it's her or not, but uh, I think it was her that basically like said that her contribution to the faith was her sons and like the, the effort that she put into them and the prayer over them and stuff. Yes. Um, does that sound right to that you? That does sound right. Um, but she said something also that, um, actually, do you mind just grabbing that book? It's the second book. It's the sec- just, you can leave your headphones on. Second shelf down. I got it. Just leave them on. Second shelf down all the way to the right uh, from the second. Yep. Yeah, right there. The Inextinguishable Blaze. Because I just want to, I want to find this because she said something in here. It was, um, we'll see if I'll be able to find it. But, uh, oh, here it is. Yeah. At the age of 13, when she was already conversant with the Greek, Latin, and French languages and read the early Christian fathers, she solemnly reviewed the whole issue and dispute between dissent and the church and thereupon clomb into the fold of Anglicanism. <laughs> like she had opinions at the age of 13. Isn't that That's awesome? awesome. Um, and here someone said... Uh, said later, if John Wesley was occasionally a little pig-headed, need we wonder? Because <laughs> of, <laughs> of his mom. Um, but uh, that's actually not what I am looking for. I want, uh, I want to find... Hmm. This is the only problem with books is there's no like search function. I know, but I kind of like that. It's why I like to read the same Bible over and over. Like I have one Bible that I love to read because you sort of get a sense for where it's at. Yeah. Um, do you mark up books when you read? I don't. I feel like it's sacrilege. Really? Yeah. I've been actually trying to figure out what a method for note taking like really looks like. I have no clue. I've been trying all these different things. Really? Evernote and just right. notebooks and like all this stuff. I really don't know what to do. But see, I used to do that. And then I also would get books at the library and I would buy used books. Now, this book is used because it's so old. I couldn't find a new one. I don't think it's in print anymore. But, but now I like to buy new and I mark them up. So like this is, this is how I, you know... That's how I found the spot here. <laughs> but I used to do Evernote um, and things like that. But uh, do you buy the books? And why don't, but why don't you mark it up? Because if you have the book, it's yours. It feels wrong. Really? Yeah. I just have yeah. this sense of like, this is this important piece of, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm like, a, like it's graffiti or something. Sure. But do you, do you like to buy most of the books you read? Or yeah. do you just read them on Kindle? Or uh, I, I have a huge quantity of books, like real life books. And I like used over new because they just feel like mm-hmm. they've got so much life in them and stuff. Right. Um, but I actually been using the library app a lot. Uh, okay. Overdrive, you use that? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, it's life changing. Uh, audiobooks, audiobooks, and Kindle books. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. See, I never, I don't listen to any audiobooks. I have. I probably listened to three audiobooks in my whole life, maybe four. But you can't underline it, save it. You know, it doesn't serve the same purpose for me. And I, I just not get into Kindle. I love to. I don't like to read the Bible on an app. I like to hold it. 
I like to read the real the real Bible. Yeah. Yeah. But with books, you're okay reading on Kindle? My preference is to read a real book, mm-hmm. but my house is really small. Okay. All my all my books right now are in a storage unit. Really? Yeah. It's really actually awful. Like I keep trying to find my Hallie's Bible commentary and it's like right. in the storage unit. And Why I don't you put it in it. a shed in your backyard? I should, I Seriously. Because of the... Uh, you can rent sheds from us. It I, probably would... Well, not from us anymore, but my brother. I need... Uh, brothers around. I need like um, climate control. Everything uh, is molding okay. and stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. all like sitting in a climate controlled storage unit right now. I see. Huh. So this, what I think though, is the most impressive... Uh, thing to say about Susanna Wesley, because you're right about the way she felt about her contribution to the Christian faith through her sons. She says, uh, let's see, the book's saying, a mother's generous benediction rested upon them, Charles and John. She said, had I 20 sons, she declared with typical prodigality, prodigality, I should rejoice that they were all so employed, though I should never see them more. And what she's saying is these preachers, John and Charles and others, Whitefield and a, whole, a bunch of others, that was, uh, they traveled a ton. Like they were on the road, so to speak. And the road was not easy um, or kind to them. But uh, John, for example, I think he'd been from like England to America I don't know, a bunch of times. And there was no airplanes. Like you went on a ship and you might make it there. You might not. Other people around you might die. Like this was a big deal. So my understanding from this book is she did not see these boys much at all. John and Charles Wesley, she did not see them much. They were not home for Easter. They were not home for Thanksgivings. They were not home for Christmases. Um, They weren't coming home for Halloween. Like maybe, I, I don't know if they hit any holidays or not, but they were not coming home like parents today or mothers and fathers, but I, but I feel like it's especially impressive to me to, to hear a mother saying this. Yeah. And what she's saying is basically I'm okay with not seeing my boys that much. They are serving and I would have more sons and I would readily have them employed in that exact same capacity and basically not see them much at all. That's so impressive. You know, I mean, that's like, I don't feel like you stumble across that kind of just strength um, a whole lot today. I think the the family, you know, the mother, father, and the kids, the family has become so elevated in the last, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what it's been, 20, 30 years, but maybe it's more than that. But it seems to me in the last 20 years, the family has become so elevated. A lot of times it's about the church and, um, and you know, you wouldn't want your, your kids, your boys or daughters, you know, traveling around the world preach. Like you want them, you want them home on the holidays, you know, you want them living close to you. And look, if that happens, that's totally great. Right. There's no problem with that. Like I want our kids to live close to us. That's great. But if God calls them to some other country to be a doctor or a, um, you know, who knows what, a business person, a teacher, a missionary, a preacher, whatever it is, a mail carrier in in some geographic location that's not close to us, who am I to stand in the way of that, you know, Um, and pressure them to, that's just not, it's not how you should treat a grown adult who happens to be your child who's trying to do the will of the Lord. (laughs) 
So there's the rant. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are claiming to be children up to like 32 or something now. So. Right. Yeah. So they need to be told what to do until they're at least 32. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, how are, I am curious, how are, how is your work being affected right now with the virus? And uh, can you remind me Jesse's role? I know he either was or is involved with filmmaking to some capacity. I have to assume there's not films being made right now. No, well, so um, Jesse works like full-time love and science, but he also does oh, okay. a lot of film that. stuff. He, he, the film stuff is like um, we have such a flexible situation and there's a lot of overlap in like our skill sets. So he does typically does like, you know, five, six film projects, uh, usually just film festivals, but he's been involved in like putting together stuff for, um, you know, bigger films, like 70 millimeter films and stuff like that. It's like a couple of years back, he was, he lived in LA for like three months, uh, working on, um, really just hateful eight, which is <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. He worked on, uh, well, wait a minute, on the, eight. on the film stuff, on the film side. So like, he's not, he's not involved in like making the film, but he was there like putting together, because uh, doing like a 70 millimeter project at that time, especially because he was, Quentin Tarantino was like the guy to get it back off the ground for 70 millimeter. Like until that movie, essentially nothing had been done for like the last 30 years. So like they had to go find 70 millimeter projectors, remanufacture lenses that weren't in, like oh, wow. didn't exist anymore. So like he spent time working with the lab and just, putting together all these 70 millimeter platters. It was kind of like one thing after another would happen where it's like, oh, we didn't think of this doing a, doing this movie in 70 millimeter. Um, so they did like a road show and showed it in 70 at like a hundred theaters around the world, something like that. So mm -hmm. he spent like three months in LA just working on making that actually happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's Hateful Eight about? I can't remember if I've seen it I or don't not. know. I'll never see it because it's a... Uh, Rated R, and I don't watch. <laughs> really? Don't you don't watch, watch R-rated movies? No. Really? I never have, yeah. Really? Interesting. PG-13? Uh, it's hit or miss on PG-13. I, hmm. I like to look them up and figure out how bad they are first. And actually, there's this really great... This is this makes a lot of like purists super mad, but um, I have for years like followed every weird filtering system that exists. So like there was... um. Clean Flicks, which was like mm -hmm. Netflix, and they would mail you like a, a filtered movie, just the oh, way okay. Netflix did in the little envelope and everything. I've heard of Clean Flicks. Yeah. yeah. So like I used to, I was I was a subscriber of Clean Flicks. Then there was Clear Play, which was like this like DVD player that had these filters you could put on like a, a little stick and, and put it in there and filter everything. Um, and then now today there's VidAngel, which I love. Hmm. Um, and it, it so it connects to your streaming services and helps you filter movies. Interesting streaming services like Netflix, Netflix and Amazon okay. Prime and oh okay, yeah. what's it called again? Uh, VidAngel. VidAngel. Mm -hmm. So you download the app on Apple TV. Um, it's I have it on my phone. Yeah, I guess it okay. probably is on Apple TV. I don't know, but uh, but if you had it on your phone, then you would sync it with. Um, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and mm -hmm. so forth. But then to watch a movie, 
or TV show, you would go to VidAngel, mm-hmm. that app, and that somehow pulls the good yeah. ones from... And then do you use AirPlay? To, I mean, you don't watch me. Yeah, phone, I you? um No, I, I cast it to the TV. Oh, okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Now, um, what are you... What are you trying to she like? Is your philosophy that's just not necessary? You don't want to see it. It's not necessary, or does it trigger certain things? Or um, so I have like I've got a lot of stances on this stuff that may or may not make me sound like a lunatic, but um, <laughs> uh, like so actually, for for pretty much ever, I've said I don't want to watch R, um, and I would watch some PG thirteen. Uh, but then I started to realize like, there's a lot more than just like language here. Like, so like even in the old, like black and white movies, like you, I don't, I don't want, um, I don't want culture to be able to affect what I emotionally feel about something. So like, it'll, it'll Mm -hmm. say, you know, I can't name the number of like movies where, you know, you've got like a man and wife and the man just doesn't really understand the wife, but this other guy does. And you're kind of like pulling for her to like go find happiness with this other dude. That's like not at all what I believe, you know, but you're swept up. And I think like with video and audio and all of that, it's like so immersive and attractive. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be shifted off of the path that I belong on because I'm like swept up in a story. Yes. Um, so, you know, I've gotten like really pretty intense about that um, over the years. So like I, I really don't watch a lot of TV. I quit watching TV like two or three years ago. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, just kind of here and there pop something on like Jeopardy or whatever. So mm-hmm. like that's like what Jesse and I are doing now is watching Jeopardy at night. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I find that even like the cooking shows, they have an agenda. All yeah. the time, like they're slipping something in, they're slipping in this agenda yeah. and normalizing things that aren't normal and like yeah. affecting my perception of the world. Right. And uh, so like with the filtering stuff, you know, I started with just, I don't want to hear the F word and I don't want to hear people taking Jesus's name in vain. Mm-hmm. The Jesus's mm-hmm. name in vain is the one that to me is like, you know, yeah. I feel like um, I know a lot of rough people that yep. use a lot of rough language yep. and they don't. Like I don't hear people taking Jesus's name in vain, yep. like all the time that yep. I just don't hear. And I feel like it's like on purpose added to these movies, like just to degrade it, you know, yep. and to, I mean, how horrible to take my Lord and Savior's name and turn it into a curse word. Mm-hmm. Like that's messed up and mm-hmm. I don't want to be desensitized to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really where it kind of comes from is just, I don't want to be desensitized and like take something for granted as normal and acceptable that I don't believe is or should be. Mm-hmm. So that's really where it, it started. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've got all kinds of people that just think I'm such a creep for doing that. But. Yeah. No, I, I totally respect it. Um, it's not how, I mean, I'm sure you run into a lot of people too, where this is not, they're not doing the same thing that you're doing. Like I'm not, nobody I do is. watch R-rated movies and I could see where nobody is. Um, but I definitely can resonate with you on the taking the Lord's name in vain. That's, that's uh, certainly a trigger for me, but, uh, that's my wife would be very similar to you. Like it's not, uh, she'll, that's not something that she's interested in putting up with at all. Um, for me, what I don't, uh, I don't know if you even know if I could quite articulate, um, my general kind of mo on that but for me it's if it's like a if it's an r-rated movie and it has some scenes that are not good but um 
I, I'm, I'm okay putting up with some things and quite possibly I put up with maybe a lot more than I should. But what I don't have time for is a storyline. Like if there's a storyline on a movie about an affair, for example, why? I don't want that. I don't want a piece of that. I don't want to grow accustomed to that. I don't want to learn about that. I don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. If it's a storyline where someone gets killed, you know, or there's a, there's some action and there's some deaths or whatever, I mean, I have a pretty, I have a pretty good stunt. Like I, I, that doesn't bother my conscience too much. But when there's things that, when I feel like the whole point of the movie is centered around something that's immoral, um, that's where it feels like, yeah, what are you doing here? You know, like there's other ways to spend your time. Yeah, no, I, I that's what I hear a lot. In the argument is the redemptive quality of like the story or whatever, and. I understand it on some level and, and lots of times when I tell people, I try not to tell people because I don't mm-hmm. want to like look like a freak all the time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when I do tell people, it's always like, oh no, I swear around you. And mm. it's like, well, you're a human being with a soul. Like mm-hmm. I'm not handing my $10 or my $20 over to you to like cuss and right. like, take my Lord and Savior's name in vain. You know, right. like it's different to me to be like entertained by something that doesn't have a soul. Like yeah. I'm willing to mix it up with anybody, yep. human being. I'm not going to be like, hey, yep. can you please not swear around me? You right. Because um, there's something so much more to them. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to just be entertained by stuff like that. And yeah. And that, I mean, that's a conviction that I have. Like I personally have this sense that like I want to be convicted sharply. I don't want... I don't want to be um, worn down. I feel like um, the culture is like in a constant state of trying to tumble dry me, you know, and I want to be sharpened. I don't want to be tumble dried. Yes. So it's one way that I can limit some of my um, exposure to that. Yeah. It makes total sense. I don't think you should apologize for it at all. Not even a little bit. Because, (laughs) Because here's why. Like everyone... People would have a problem with it if the other side of the fence was um, like people on the other side of the fence feel like they have a right to vocalize their opinion and that it matters and they can't be freaks because of that. There's something about this. Like if you're on kind of the one side here, it's cool to voice your opinions. uh, But your viewpoints, for example, are not popular or common. And so when you voice how you do something, like I had to ask this question, but when you view it. Some people would, you know, probably, I don't know, treat you different or whatever. But or you, you even apologize for this. Like you even did it right now. You apologize <laughs> for this viewpoint. Well, I'm just saying, like, you shouldn't apologize for that. You have a you have a viewpoint that you have, which you're entitled to, which you have a right to, and quite frankly, is a little bit convicting, you know, to me even. Um, and so that's you should share that. As often as you can, like as if someone asked, I wouldn't back away from the punch. Maybe I'll make a t-shirt or something. Could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about the 70, you said 70 millimeter? Yeah. Is this, I'm picturing, I don't know anything about film, but I'm picturing that this is like a physical yeah, film. Yeah, it, it is. That's what's weird and unique about it. So um, it's large uh, format and has a lot of data packed into it. So mm. like um, what... What the normal film that you would have seen like before everything switched to digital is 35 millimeter, which is like half the size basically. Mm. So um, some of the stuff that people love about 70 millimeter is just the detail and the blackness of the blacks and just like, you know, very um, lush visuals. 
So mm-hmm. that's kind of one of Quentin Tarantino's things. And I think that that particular film was shot, I think, primarily in Telluride, Colorado, oh, wow. which is just beautiful. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen some scenes from the film and they just look, you know, un- unbelievable. Really? You've seen yeah. actual, some scenes of actual on the 70 millimeter? Yeah. Yeah. And is there is there something about with video, but even some people would say audio, right? With listening to music, whatever. There's a warmth oh, that, yeah. that you get with the analog. You don't get with the digital. What, what's up with that? Why can't we do a digital that's just as good? I really don't know why. I think some of it has to do with just like the cleanness of it. Um, it's so sterilized, and then you end up at trying to add back the grit Mm. and it's just artificial. I mean, I think probably they'll figure it out. And even with like, like 4k, you know, is a totally different experience. Like, um, Jesse made us buy, like we were buying a TV. I had a 3d projector instead of a TV for a long time. Mm. And, um, we were going to buy a TV and it was like the hardest thing on the face of the planet because it had to be 4k Dolby vision, like all this (laughs) stuff that I'm like, I don't know what that is. I can't tell the difference. So like Jesse will have to basically like before we watch 4k content, he has to go through a whole like rigmarole to show me, well, here's what it would look like if it wasn't 4k and Dolby vision. Here's with Dolby vision like Uh, on top of it. But I don't know. I mean, you'd have to. <laughs> to I would get love those to see some of, of that. Detail. You need to send it my way it. a little bit. Um, so, did you get a TV then? Yeah, and we have 4K. We, we have a 4K Dolby Vision TV and uh, okay. all kinds of horrible speakers with wires sticking out every which way. Like he's got this thing right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, is he with you on like what he watches or doesn't watch? Yeah. Or does he watch stuff where you're just like, no, no, thanks. Go ahead. No problem at all. But I, I, won't, I don't want to watch He it. watches tons of stuff that I say no thanks to, but not, oh, for, okay. not for any reason other than oh, really? I just don't want to see the stupid uh, stuff okay. that he likes. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I don't know if he's always been that way or not, but we're we're in alignment with like what we're what we're doing. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he's seen a lot more stuff than I have because he hasn't always been that way. Sure. Um, so like he tried to get me to watch a Groundhog Day I fell asleep, so I still haven't seen Groundhog Day. But, okay. Um, yeah, That's an like, old comedy, right? Yeah, Bill Murray. Okay, okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I've, I've never seen. And he's kind of, he tries to introduce me to these things like as they come available on VidAngel, basically. So I see. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, my, so I've been reading about 4K, or it keeps popping up, I feel like. It's a new thing, right? Pretty new. And like if, if you were to watch, like the movies that are coming out now, are they in 4K or they would say if they're in 4K? I don't know, like in the theaters, but they say okay. in 4K, like Amazon has 4K content. Um, okay. And Netflix, I don't know if they still have this. I don't have Netflix, but uh, they, for a while, they had like a whole channel of like, this is our 4K content. Oh, and And there still isn't so much 4K content that it even really matters. Like if we want to watch 4K, we just watched our first movie in 4K like last week. Oh, I see. Um, but you want to see 4K, it's like, uh, let's watch this nature documentary and yep. you know, stuff like that is like the only thing that you can find. That's where I've been seeing it um, is on some of that stuff. Now, if if like our TV is a few years old, um, so I don't think it's 4K enabled or whatever. So if you're watching a 4K video, but it's on a regular TV, I'm assuming you lose the magic. Yeah, totally. Oh, okay. But also 4K, like we're streaming and like, half the time your 4K content gets downgraded to 1080p anyway. So it's just like... Gotcha. It's all all just not 
seamless. It's now, all still kind of beta. Right. Now there is, there's, uh, there's a YouTube video on Netflix that's like 10 hours long. Um, and it's 4k drone footage of nature and it has some, do you know about this? No. Okay. What's well, 4k drone footage of nature. It's not funny. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really awesome. You've seen it, right? Lincoln. Um, it's like real slow moving drone footage of like the ocean and, or like of a, not just of the ocean, but like a body of water, say in Alaska, a stream coming into a body of water and mountains, snow capped mountains in the background. It's gorgeous. And there's like meditative music that plays. Um, like that is the most relaxing. I had this on Twitter the other day. Like I still think of all the things that we make with films and so forth, some of the most powerful footage is still just random raw clips of the earth. Yeah. Like it's hard to beat that. If it's like in re- if the definition is really good, you could just sit and watch that if you had some time. <laughs> See, my problem is I hate technology and I feel like it gets in the way of real life all the time. And the better technology gets at emulating real life, the more I hate it. Oh, so you would rather go to Alaska and sit and look at the mountains and the body of water than watch it on your TV. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's I get kind that. of I can appreciate up. that. Like, so, so yeah. okay, there's one more way for us to like sit in our houses and like not connect with human beings or nature or anything. Yeah. Like it's just, okay. And here's, you know, um, like I hate, I can't think, virtual reality. Like yeah. just stop. I don't want yeah. augmented reality, virtual reality. Just get it out of my yeah. life. Yeah. That's one thing I don't know anything about. I've never tried it, augmented reality or virtual reality. Um, Everything's but, got it. I mean, you can't yeah. buy something from Ikea without dealing with it now. Like Ikea has has like a component now where if you're going to put, if you're going to buy a dresser, you can put it in your room. Oh, uh, okay. You know, and you can yeah. look at what it's going to look like and feel like. And I mean, that's all very cool. Yeah. But I just don't want technology to take over, and it already has. Interesting. I mean, this is interesting coming from you who is, you do digital things for a living. I know. And I think that's part of why. Well, that's, it's honestly, it's part of why I'm not because I I already know how it can be used and it's sick. I see. You know, and some of the, like, I think one of the worst things I've heard so far with the COVID stuff is like, I believe that it was, it was Tennessee that did this. But they, before they locked things down, like, and came out and officially said, like, hey, stay at home or whatever, uh, they were looking at cell phone data to see how people were moving around and mm-hmm. how they were aggregating. Mm-hmm. And, like, in a way, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's the worst thing ever. Right. Like, this is like what George Orwell was writing about, you know, and um, we're living in it. Mm. And it's all well and good when it's being used like in a nice way. Right. But if you can use it in a nice way, you can use it in a not nice way. Yes. And that's yes. what I really hate. And uh, yep. and data is addicting. You start dipping in and looking at it and it's not going to go away. This isn't like the one time they're going to look at our cell phone data to figure out what's right. going on, yeah. you know. But I mean... Like you, you have an iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. How many times does your Apple Maps like tell you when you get in the car where you're going and how right. fast it's going to be? Yeah. I yeah. hate that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I should probably hate it too. <laughs> I like it because it makes it's my convenient. life easier. It's very convenient. Yeah. But what are we trading for convenience? Like when I was the first, no, the second agency job I had, 
before I started my company was um, there was this story going around of this guy who was like a designer developer and he like had a house, a Victorian house with no electricity. And I was like, that is the way to live. Like Hmm. you leave technology at work and you go home and you like don't have electricity. You don't have the internet. Like, yeah. I mean, you could do it. The reliance that we have is so horrible. And I frequently am like, I'm going to get rid of my cell phone. I'm going to get that. Have you seen those little light phones? They're like the size of a credit card and they can't mm-hmm. do anything. They can, you can program in like 10 phone numbers, no texting. It's just a phone for like your safety, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm always like, I'm going to get rid of my phone. I'm going to get a light phone. And then you've got all this stuff that comes in. It's mm-hmm. like, well, then what am I going to do? Bring a digital camera around with me? Mm. Am I going to have right. to get a GPS? Like, exactly. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll keep my iPhone. That's and right. all of the evils yeah. that come with it yeah. because of convenience. So if if it wasn't for the possibility of abuse of this data, are you more cool with it? Or you just don't like the idea, period? I'd be cool with it if there was no chance of abuse, but there's a okay. lot of chance of abuse. Oh, mess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And I mean, I've got friends that'll be like, hey, uh, what do you think? I'm not going to put my kid's face on Instagram. Do you think that's weird? I'm like, no, keep their freaking faces off of Instagram. Right. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> please do that. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, I'll have these arguments with people about like, well, what could they possibly do with X? And it's like, mm-hmm. you don't know. And neither do right. I. But yep. like, like today, you've got like deep fake videos that we weren't thinking about. 10 years ago, we mm-hmm. weren't thinking somebody was going to be able to like use a couple of pictures of your face and, and now, you know, emulate, just create content that you have not said and like mm. have, I mean, you've seen those, right? Like they've had like these ones of Obama and stuff are probably the most famous. I don't think I have seen those. It no. looks like and sounds like somebody is saying something they are not saying. Oh, I see. And uh, beyond just, and it's not even difficult. Like you've got guys building businesses now around creating that kind of video and now building businesses around how to decode if it's that kind of video or not. So like, oh, oh, how am I going to know if this is a real video or not? Here's some software that you can run the video through to determine whether or not it's fake. Wow. And it's just like, what the heck is going right. on? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do next, but I don't want to give them too much data. Like yeah. I'm so mad at myself because I have, um, I've got like the facial ID and a fingerprint. IPhone? Yeah. It's like, okay. don't, don't, if you have the strength to not do that, please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> please yeah. don't do that. The, is, your, is your iPhone new enough that it has the, it unlocks yeah. via your face? Okay. Th- this one's too old for that. But I was just watching a, a uh, news clip on uh, in China. They're getting big into facial recognition over there. And they have... Actually, I don't know how rampant it is. That, I don't know if it's across the country or whatever, but it's privatized. So there's these companies that are... Companies run by you know, 25-year-old dudes, you know, that are doing this stuff. Um, Government-funded, though, some of it. And, um, I mean, they're they're... Shoot, they said how many cameras they're planning to put up in China over the next... It was a lot of cameras. And uh, some of the things they were doing with it already was if you walked across the street at an intersection and you didn't do it properly or whatever, uh, you weren't in the proper place to walk across, you walked across at the wrong time or whatever, they would put your picture on a... Like a like a small billboard, like an like a billboard that you would see like advertising on, like at a bus station or whatever. They would put your picture on that um, to shame you, 
And uh, they were using facial recognition for ordering at McDonald's. Uh, you would just walk up and it would see your face and it would prompt an order that maybe you order a lot, that type of thing. McDonald's um, uh, security to get into an office building. You'd walk up, point your face up to the camera. It would see your face. It would unlock the office door. You could go in. All that kind of stuff was, oh, and what was really mind-blowing was they had it to the point where you would have like a thousand people, say, just kind of milling about in a park and if you were looking for someone, like it would pay attention to everyone in the park. And if someone lingered there, if there was behavior that was abnormal, so like someone lingering in the park longer than they would normally, or people in a weird spot in the park and being there longer than they would or whatever, like, but it can, it would, it's paying attention to all thousand people in the park at the same time. And if it picks up on strange behavior, it notifies police. And so they're, they were saying in this in this uh, show that, look, this can be great good because you can pick up on, say, a terrorist in a park, but also it can be used for really bad things, too. And then, of course, you know, they're asked, like, well, what what else does this thing do? Like, what can this thing do things that you can't even talk about? And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're this thing does quite a lot, you know, that we can't talk about. Yeah, right now it's what's the weird behavior in a park. Next, it's are they going to a church building? Mm-hmm. What's you know, put them on a list. You know, yeah. I don't need that in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I do not like the invasiveness, and and we all willingly turn it over. We willingly turn it over because of convenience, and that's kind of I talked about GDPR, and that's part of what that that's about is like you can't have this level of data about people. The the Mm -hmm. level of data is so deep. You know everything about them because you're Mm -hmm. joining all these different behaviors. It's not just like what I'm shopping for. It's like where I go, um, where I buy. Because of course Google can tell, I walked into this store and I made a credit card purchase and, you know, I mean, everything. And you start joining that data and you know so much about an individual, like you don't have the right, to do that, you I know? See. Yep. So it's like, okay, well, we're still going to collect all this data, but we're just going to give people the ability to opt out of it. But like, mm. that's not a real, you know, I mean, that's conspiracy theory on my part, but it's not real that you're opting out of it. I right. mean, like, yep. you think if you cancel your Facebook account, like somehow you're not tracked by Facebook anymore. That's just right. nonsense. Yeah. Like, yep. I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. I will never okay. have it on my phone. Really? Yeah. I don't want them listening to me because that's what they do. Hmm. And Alexa, you're going to sit in your house with Alexa oh, yeah, listening yeah, to crazy. you? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, this stuff, like, yep. I don't trust, why would you trust these people with this this level of, like, access yeah. to you, you know? I've heard that there's been people that have, the cops have showed up at their door because Alexa called the cops because it detected um, domestic abuse. <sighs> Do you think that's true? I wouldn't be surprised. See, I tend to be optimistic. Like, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. So, like, I totally hear where you're coming from, and I get it. And yet I'm also like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, there's good things that can... Like, it was great that the cops showed up and stopped that domestic violence. You know what I mean? Like, I tend to give... uh, I think I I tend to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) I don't. I use this... I use this data. Like, we use data to advertise to people. And it's just, you know, and people are, are incredibly easy to understand, you know, behavioral psychology, Mm -hmm. like people behave in ways, you know, whether they like it or not, 
these are the ways their minds work and the way they process things. Like mm. you start coupling your knowledge of behavioral psychology with the data that you have access to. And like, it's just, you can manipulate anything and anyone, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's right. And I guess I wouldn't, I would give people the benefit of the doubt if everybody was like, if everyone who owned Google and like did, you know, was in charge of all this stuff, if they were all like sweet Christian people, right. <laughs> you know, maybe, but like they're not, you know, right. I don't trust, I don't trust them. If they're all like my pastors up there owning this stuff, like, okay, maybe, you yeah. know, but uh, it, the thing is like, it sounds really good. Like, okay, it stopped domestic abuse. What is domestic abuse? Like, was it somebody had an argument? Like mm-hmm. what, what, are, who decides what these levels are and like what the impact is and what the reaction is? Like who's got that, right. that control? Yeah. And it's not me. Yep. And I don't like them having that level of uh, access or control. Yeah. Over me. Yeah. I get that. I did want to talk about love and science. How did this, how and when did this start? Well, and what is it? Eight years ago, and uh, really, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of working on our elevator pitch, mm-hmm. but um, really, we're uh, digital strategists and advertisers. Mm-hmm. So, um, eight years ago, I guess it was when I started the the company. Um, I had been in a couple of different agencies and advertising agencies, yeah, or? ad agencies, okay. creative agencies. And uh, I was really frustrated by a lack of <laughs> lack of use of data. Mm. So, like, we'd be doing all this stuff. Ah, I see now. Yeah, this is this is this is ironic. What goes around comes around, I right? Know, isn't it sick? <laughs> um, but we would be like so not strategic. Right, you're, you're like right. just throwing out ideas because it's you know a bunch of creative people, but they're not based in what they really need to be based in. So, like, my thought is. We need to start with data because people don't know the truth and it's harder for data to lie. You know, it's mm-hmm. so like you sit in a conversation with a bunch of C-suite, you know, whatever, and you ask them about their business and they tell you things through their own lens. Right. And like if I have the data first, I can ask better questions and I can get to the truth faster. And... um and using data to like be strategic was something that just, I felt like nobody was doing. So you're in these agencies and they're, you know, they're putting all of their focus on the pitch and the idea and then the execution is lacking or you execute and you never talk to somebody again. You have no Mm -hmm. idea what the impact of whatever thing you did, like what that impact was. And I was just more interested in what would happen to the business. So I wanted to think about what would happen to the business first. Mm, and mm-hmm. I wanted to look at the data so that you could understand what the impact might be and where there might be an opportunity or an issue or what are we not thinking of. Um, and that was just a, that was a really frustrating experience for me because nobody really wanted to do that. Mm. Um, and it got to the point where I was so frustrated not doing it that I'm just like, well, I have to, I have to do it. So okay. I just have to do this thing. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a, I just read the e-myth recently and it was like devastating to me because it's like, oh, that's how you build a business the wrong way uh. <laughs> by deciding you want to solve a problem. Like, you know, you're a practitioner and want to solve a problem. Yeah. But, um, you know, we've done really well in eight years being in business and growing every year is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel, I feel good about that. But, uh, but yeah, so 
just wanted to be able to be more strategic and wanted to be in more of like a partnership with businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to see them succeed. I wanted mm-hmm. to, un- I wanted to get them even to understand what they needed to do. Right. Cause they'd be coming to you and they want an answer. Um, and they don't understand their own situation well enough, you know? So like they'd be turning over these questions to us, uh, that they should be answering, you know? So like, how do mm. I give them the information they need to be able to make the right decisions? Yeah. And then how can I kind of help and lead and guide them on the digital side? Like, how do I translate what they have to do as a business into how that needs to be executed online? Yes. Now, when you say a practitioner that saw there's a, there's a problem to solve as a practitioner and you just solve the problem, what would the E-Myth, e-myth recommend? It's basically like, it just kind of talks about, um, that you, it actually has this horrible kind of cycle that I I sort of followed. I'm glad that I didn't totally, but, uh, you start, you think I can do this better. You start doing it. The business is growing. Suddenly you're doing a bunch of stuff that you're not good at and you don't know. I mean, I have a degree in business, so I wasn't like totally just... Mm-hmm. Um, not that I think a degree in business means a whole lot to be totally honest, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had like some basic principles or whatever to mm-hmm. work off of, but, uh, you go through this process and then you just say, okay, oh, you're an accountant here. You do the accounting now and you right. turn away and you never look at it again. And this, mm-hmm. you know, and that person doesn't know about your business and they're not, invested in your business success like they're just on this task or whatever they don't they don't understand where you're trying to go mm-hmm. um so it's kind of this the e myth is just like it's the entrepreneurial myth mm-hmm. in essence of like what is an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and the guys i think that are really successful are the ones that just have like an idea and they don't do the work you know they mm-hmm. they work on a business and they don't do the work inside of the business mm-hmm. like I'm currently in the in a state of trying to do less of the work that was the reason I wanted to start the business in the first place. Right. To put the focus on treating the business like some like an entity that deserves attention. You yes. Know? Yes. Um, so it's painful and I like doing I like doing this work. It's yeah. strategic and fun and I like solving other people's problems and I really don't like solving my own. Right. Yeah. So. Well, don't, do you think that some of that depends on what the goal is of the business to begin with? In other words, let's say you could do this data-driven digital strategy extremely well and that's what you love to do. Like that's just what you love to do. And so you strike out on your own and you build a business around it and so that you can stay in your lane and do what you love. Like that's, the business may not grow, um, you know, it may not go places that it could, frankly, but maybe that's not your goal to begin with. That's just what you want to do. And then, but I think maybe for most is if they want to start a business, they might not have been your case, but, you know, they're looking for freedom or to grow equity over time or to kind of build something to provide a lifestyle income or cash flow or maybe sell it and you know that type of thing so do you think it depends a little bit on the goal of the business yeah it does and I never really set one so that's like that's really the challenge of this like this last year and this year that we're in now is trying to kind of determine what is the goal Um, because what I like to do is to help people you Mm -hmm. know I like to help these businesses and if you don't have a system that allows that to expand. And, and the way I expanded that system was hiring my brothers. 
Okay. <laughs> because we're wired the same way yeah. and like they are brilliant, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I can trust them implicitly to do excellent work and mm-hmm. to care about solving these problems and to have the capacity to solve the problems and to have a vision, like all this stuff that um, I don't know how to teach anybody. Right. But, yep. you know, you, you have when you're when you're a family business and you're a handful of people, like the capacity to help is limited, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I find myself working with people who don't have any money or, you know, whatever, mm. because I just, I hear that problem. I want to solve that problem so badly. Mm. And like, I feel like we almost are doing a disservice to, I mean, that makes us sound like we're just so great and I'm not trying mm-hmm. to, <laughs> right. but you know, if I have the capacity to help them, I, I'm capable of helping them to yes. change their lives and their yep. business and their employees' lives. Like, yep. I want to do that at the biggest scale that I can. Yes. And by not thinking about the business as uh, its own thing that has the yep. capacity to grow and change, then I am super limited and almost feel yep. selfish. I've had this thought about the business lately, going back to just being like a person who loves Jesus. But um, am I burying a talent? You know, mm-hmm. by limiting things, by limiting the capacity that we have. Am I burying a talent? Mm-hmm. Like there's something I can give people that this business can give people that like my brothers can give people that I would like to give people at a bigger, like on a bigger level. Like mm-hmm. God gave us something, you know, yes. we, we have the capacity to think about these things in different ways and to drive these results and to see positive, um, you know, to see a positive effect. Um, so is it, you know, maybe it's my job to like, find a way to do that better and more. Yeah. Well, don't you think too that the very uh the very nature of you asking the question, I wonder if I'm bearing a talent here. I wonder if we could we could do more, essentially do greater good. I think the very fact that you're asking yourself that question is some insight into into maybe maybe you maybe you do bear some of that responsibility. You know, because I think this comes back to this was a some something I read somewhere, and it was I think from a philosopher or something. I just think it makes sense. Is you know people should basically attain to their highest good. You know, like we 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 should not be we should not back away from our best contribution to society. Uh, and this is not a Christian non Christian thing. Like this is everyone. Like we need we need people's best. Like there's a sense where they we sort of we sort of deserve your best. You know what I mean? Like you sort of deserve my best. Like that's how society functions. That's how it works. Um, and, and then there's also lots of people that um, might have something like you have and they feel no responsibility to a greater contribution. And I think, I don't, there was a point in my life where I looked down on that a little bit, if I'm honest, I'm not proud to say it now, but um where like if I felt like someone wasn't being ambitious enough or, you know, shooting high enough, I would, I guess if I'm honest, look down on them just a little bit. But I think there's room for, there's room for someone who's got a niche, they're doing their thing and that's just what they want to do. They're not looking to grow it. They're not looking to contribute more. They're in their sweet spot and they're happy with how it is. Like, I think there's room for that. But those people aren't asking the question that you're asking yourself now. So I think there's something in you that feels like maybe... 
maybe there is a, a greater responsibility, which I think you should pay attention to. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to pay attention. It's a uh, this whole like maybe it, and maybe it all comes back to reading the Bible in two months. I don't know because it feels yeah. like that's been in a way like a little bit of a catalyst. Like I've been really questioning myself about music too because it's like um, I get these weird little things, you know. I, ran into a guy that used to play in my band who was like, can you please send me our music? Like, do you have our music? Like, so-and-so wanted to hear it, and, you know, I loved this, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, was this a gift that God gave me that I'm just kind of like, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried, I did some stuff, and now uh, whatever. Right. So um, you're asking the question even outside of love and science, it sounds like. Yeah. It's almost like you're asking the question around Amy Romero. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Interesting. And I mean, definitely with love and science. um, And I think, you know, like my my brothers are so brilliant, so talented. And Jesse, you know, what he contributes is so just like even it's interesting because he's not a blood relative, but like we're married and he married me on purpose. (laughs) You know, like he kind of, he's still cut from the same cloth. It's a different pattern sort of, you know, but, um, but like what he contributes to the thing, like it's. I see that we have like in a way just such a unique and like blessed kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like I owe it to the Lord. Like I owe it to them. Like I owe it to everybody to, to make space for this to succeed, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I've been so thankful to God that we've had like the success that we've had and, you know, this natural organic growth and, you know, people have positive things to say about us and like Josh and I, uh, four days a week, we pray before we start work and we're praying over our clients and our business and like where we're trying to go and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And like, I want to be, I want to have ears to hear. Right. So yep. I'm just trying really in all aspects of life to try to be open to what God's telling me. So I think, you know, business, there's no doubt in my mind, I've got to do something more. Mm-hmm. And then the music thing, like, I think I probably have to do something there because the, the, prick is so like ah. really oh yeah you did something wrong yeah for it's like you feel a draw to get back into mu- music at some capacity yeah i don't did, know what the heck it looks like really did you sing or play an instrument or many instruments or yeah um play a lot of instruments like a little bit okay um but mostly like which ones well like ukulele guitar a little okay. bit of piano a little bit of mandolin just it, really any stringed instrument okay. a little bit yeah um, Dab with a violin at all, or no? I don't. I don't know anything about the violin. Okay. Um, I've always wanted to, but it always seemed like it was too hard. Seems like, that way. I feel like a, like the violinists, like that's what they do. The good yeah. violinists, they're violinists. That's you know, it's when, different than ukulele, guitar, some of those. things. Whenever maybe. I'm like discontent with who I am, I just think like, why couldn't I just be one of those people that like the only thing on earth that they can do and they want to do is like play piano or violin. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause you're right. It's like, it seems like it's like almost like an all consuming thing, yes. you know? And yep. like, uh. It's e- it's so easy to play guitar and ukulele and all this stuff. Like you don't have to know what the heck you're doing. Well, you know? it's easy. It's somewhat easy to learn. Yeah. It is. I don't know if it's easy to master. It might be oh, easy I for definitely, you. I'm not. I'm. I have no mastery over it. Like everything that I've ever learned to do is basically to like support a, a vision of something. You know, like okay. So I write a song, and I don't even feel like I write the songs. Like. When when I was really writing a lot, it just felt like I was like picking an apple off a tree. Like it mm-hmm. was in a way, it was so easy for me to even like my own songs because they weren't 
they didn't feel like they were mine. I felt like I was just grabbing them right. you know, out of the air. I don't think everyone feels that. I, I maybe this spent, is something you need to get back into. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I really it, don't know how. It's a very weird, like, uncomfortable thing. Because, like, I'll think about it and be like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do? Like, go play at a coffee shop. Mm. Like, am I supposed to, like, work at you know, do my job and like I'm in business meetings and then like at night I go to a coffee shop and I play some songs. Like it just I, seems I think, I think you <laughs> so can. crazy. I think you can. It does seem crazy. I know what you mean. I, I know, I know what you mean, but I think you can because um, like one example of this would be Joe Rogan. Like he is into a lot of, like it wouldn't make sense for the most popular podcast for that to be someone who's in comedy. You know, but then also in business and then have Bernie Sanders on his podcast, you know, like, but he just doesn't give a crap. You know, he's doing what he wants to do, what he loves to do, what he's good at. Uh, And so I don't think there's, and, and also I think in like our day and age, there's less compartmentalization, which I think is great. Um, So I think you can own love and science. You can run it. You can be a digital marketer. You can be a devout believer and you can be playing at a coffee shop at night. You know what I mean? Like this, who, someone that was at your business meeting, maybe was in a business meeting with you at 11 a.m. happens to be your gig at 11 p.m. I think that's fine. <laughs> I think people are more integrated now than they used to be. I think people are more okay with that. Yeah, maybe. If you if you got back into music, would you? Um, what genre? Like what type of music? Um, I don't know what to call it. Uh, we actually like years ago were named by this magazine, um, best indie folk band. I don't remember what the year was. It was a long time ago for America, for your County, for your city or what? I guess, well, you know, I don't know. Um, it was a, it was a, at least a national magazine. I don't know if it was like, what was the name of this band? Marrow and the Broken Bones. Marrow and the Broken Bones. This is the one you referenced earlier. Yeah. Have you only ever been in this one band? Yeah. Well, okay. no, that's not true. I was in like some bands in high school and stuff. I was in this weird band called The Noid, like after the character from that, what, what pizza? Is it Domino's? Was The okay. Noid from Domino's? I don't know. Uh, I'm not familiar. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, just some stuff like that. And then uh, I started this other little weird band called Haunting Party that was just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Marrow and the Broken Bones and the Haunting Party. I like it. Yeah, that was, uh, (laughs) but that was like all like weird covers and stuff. Um, But yeah, I guess that's, I think that's probably it. My brother and I, Daniel, like for a while we had like a little weird thing we called Rotterdam, which was like a little city in New York. Um, And that was just like a short lived weird thing. But actually, uh, so do you know who Carmen is? The musician Carmen? Christian, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, he has like some kind of weird video where he's like beating up the devil or something like that. I haven't seen that, but the name rings a bell. So he, uh, he actually had my band in his top eight in MySpace back in the MySpace days. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, We had, (laughs) we actually, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Well, you sound rather accomplished at this to, to be not doing anything with it anymore. Who was in uh, Marrow and the Broken Bones? Is it plural or singular? Yeah, it's uh, Marrow and the Broken Bones. Bones. And it was yeah. uh, the Broken Bones because it was kind of like a rotating deal. So, oh, okay. Yeah, Jonathan Davis, uh, he played mandolin mostly. Um, my buddy Greg Burgess played like everything. Just like, you know, Nashville's okay. so full of just geniuses. Yeah. Um, 
had Adam Tanaka, who actually owns Life and Limb Printing now, was playing drums. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Walters played drums. He's a really cool guy. Um, Jesse, before we were married, Jesse oh, cool. was in the band. What did yeah. he play? He he just played every weird little thing. Like he okay. he made all those songs seem like real songs because he'd be like bringing in some crazy little. He'd play like melodica or like oh, some cool. weird little thing yeah. on top. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, if there was one thing I could I could just pick to be so good at, it would be music. It just seems awesome. The creative process, the writing, the performing, like all of it just seems so great. I love performing. Really? Actually, it's kind of the thing that killed it for me was uh I loved performing and I kept trying to do records and they were I hated recording because mm-hmm. it was like this permanent thing. Mm-hmm. And uh I loved playing live cuz like you just feel everything, you yeah, know, and there's that. these people and you're getting this reaction and you're changing everything in the moment to like fit that second in time. Hmm. And like you would see somebody and you would know if I change it like this, that person's going to love it. Like, you know, you just get oh, this like cool. sense of the room and the feedback and this stuff and just sitting there like trying to like, play to a click track is like the most devastating. Uh, I see. Yeah. I can <laughs> see that. Absolutely. Yeah. So no. I, and being a person that's like in marketing and stuff, it was just kind of like, well, why am I doing this? I can't collect anybody. Like what's the point of this? Yeah. And it was like the, the marketing piece that kind of like destroyed it because I'm like, well, I'm not making records, so I'm not selling records. Okay. I'm like, why would I get anybody's email address? I can't, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it just sort of felt like, well, what am I doing this for? Hmm. And it was, uh, and it just kind of fizzled out for me. What if the, what if the band or new band or you bring the old band back together? What if Marrow and the Broken Bones um, restarted again, but it was part of the marketing funnel for Love and Science? <laughs> how I'm serious. That, how in the world did I do that? I'm, I'm really interested to hear how you're going to work this so together. So Jim Clayton with Clayton Holmes who since sold, actually he sold Clayton Holmes to Warren Buffett um, and retired. He might be on the board still, but now he owns a few banks. Um, I think he lives in East Tennessee where he was raised. In the kind of the glory days of Clayton Holmes, he had a TV show and uh, it was kind of like a variety show. And I think it recorded in Nashville, although I might be wrong about that. But, um, you know, Jim Clayton, like, I feel like a few of those guys kind of in that age and, and just in that kind of time, um, they were real, like he was a, he was a real performer. Like he loved to be in front of people. He loved to be, I don't know that his variety show was that great or whatever, but he was doing it and it was part of the, it was part of the marketing funnel for Clayton Holmes. Another thing that they did, um, which I think was just genius is they would. Um, so this was back in the, when was this? Probably the shoot. I'm going to screw it up, but I mean, I want to say the seventies or the eighties, maybe thereabouts. Anyhow, um, radio was big. Radio really worked for them. And what they did was he would send guys out into grocery store parking lots and they would look in the car window at people's radios. This was back before digital dials. And they would see what the physical radio knob was turned to, what station, and they would mark it down. And then they would basically, from that, this comes back to data, from that information, they would see 
who or what stations are people listening to the most? And then they would advertise on those stations. Kind of, kind of freaking genius if you think about it. But yeah, he had a variety show that it was this variety show that had something to do with like hillbilly East Tennessee stuff, not a direct uh, correlation to Clayton Holmes at all. I mean, in a sense, in hindsight, it's like, man, you know, did he hurt the brand? You know, <laughs> could you like, can you like, can you do damage to your business by being on a variety show? It didn't, at least back then. Now, the thing is, like, obviously, he, like, the current president and CEO of Clayton Holmes wouldn't go on a variety show now. Um, but it was part of the marketing funnel. So, like, uh, I don't see any reason why you can't sing, why you can't um, incorporate <laughs> your music. I mean, uh, no exposure is bad exposure, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Uh, would, did, did, um, your music were the lyrics Christian at all or no? Um, some of them kind of were. Uh, it was always just like I don't know things that I found interesting, and it felt like writing stories. Um, I used to write a lot about like math and science, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah, just like weird. Like I had one song that was um, like using the scientific method for like convincing someone to fall in love with you. You know, just stuff like that. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of just weird, okay. weird things. Can people still get this music anywhere or isn't it out? Not really. I okay. never really recorded or released. I mean, I recorded okay. a bunch of stuff and like none of it was really ever like okay. put out into a record, which is why I just kind of like let it die because it just seemed so ridiculous. Yeah. You should dabble with, you should dabble with indie folk music with strong, theologically robust lyrics. You should do a song or two like that. I've actually written... These have never seen the light of day, but I've written a couple of songs, like a, one uh, um, that basically just kind of reworked the second psalm, and one with like a bunch of Paul's teachings. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Shylin, Christian rapper? Uh-uh. Okay. I don't listen to... Um, actually, I've really never listened to a lot of hip hop, uh, but Shylin, S-H-A-I, Lin, L-I-N-N-E, I think, Shylin. Dude from Philadelphia, and uh, he does Christian hip hop. But I, I mean, I, I haven't listened to a ton of others. I have listened to some. He's my like. There's the best of everybody else, and then there's this huge gap in my mind. And there's Shylin, and his stuff is awesome. Uh, like I listen to it a lot, and it's it's theologically robust. I mean, this guy's not pulling any punches. I mean, it's straight down the barrel like this. Like you're hearing the gospel, but it's hip hop, and it's a but it's not like subpar hip hop. It's really good. Um, the closest I can think to like indie folk music that would be theologically robust. I don't know if Young Oceans though is indie. Have you ever heard of Young Oceans? Mm-hmm. You're out of New York City. I listened to a ton of Young Oceans a couple years ago. I really like their sound, Christian music, but it really well done. Um, but I like indie folk type music, but I don't know that I'm familiar with any, with that type of a sound that's Christian. Yeah. I mean, now I'm thinking of it, like, I guess a lot of it really was pretty, crit. I mean, it wasn't Christian necessarily, but like uh, the first record that I wrote and didn't release was called Let My Crushed Bones Rejoice, which was, you know, from the Psalms mm-hmm. and the idea even of marrow and the broken bones, like health to thy navel, marrow to thy bones, like all of that is, you know, it was all tied in um, on some level. But uh, yeah, and a lot of my songs had 
like tie backs to Psalms. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Weird. maybe the next time you're on the podcast, you will have recorded a couple songs. Maybe. At least informally. <laughs> I expect to hear some, by the way. <laughs> um, so back to love and science. You mentioned your brothers. How many siblings do you have? I have two brothers, and they okay. both work with me. Okay. And they're both younger? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're the oldest in your family? Uh, and um, But love and science was your gig? Like that you started it and yeah. then hired them. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And this is a full-time gig for you guys. Yeah. And then Jesse's involved. Anyone else? Um, it's the four of us are really the core people. And like we've worked with a bunch of different people over the years. Right now we're working a lot with um, this guy, Micah Jones, and his company, New Unity. Um, he's great because he's a, like a brand design um, he helps us with like website stuff a lot. So mm-hmm. when we first started, we didn't we didn't really want to touch websites. But then you know you're giving people advice and you're talking through these strategies, and then they have no capacity to execute. And it's like, well, a lot of good our strategy did you if you can't do anything with it, right? So we had built like some development team. Like you you interacted with you know one of the guys from the team at that time and. Um, it's just been like an ongoing battle really of like, do we do it? Do we not do it? We don't want to do it. Um, but people need it real bad. And it's like so tightly correlated with what we do. Um, which is actually why we ended up getting so deep into advertising was it was a, it was a channel that we could control end to end without, without having to go that route of like, let's rebuild your website or... I see. And if you want to stay away from the rebuilding the website or creating a new website just because that market's so flooded, that space is so flooded. It's flooded, but it's, um, I mean, it's just complex. Like, and part of it is, I don't want to be a project manager. I want to do what we do. You know, we, we do this stuff very well and I don't want to get like sucked into having to like manage a development project. And, um, if we had, if, you know, that even goes back to like, what am I doing with love and science? Like, where do we go and how do we expand? Like, what do we create for people? Um, I need, I need people to care about it the way I care about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's like nothing worse than trying to work on something that critical with somebody that doesn't care about it the way I care about it. Right. It yeah. is a nightmare, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I had actually, when we had like the development team, I'd gotten to the point where I was like throwing up regularly. I'd go home and I would like throw up because of the stress of like trying to make sure everything was at the level that I wanted it to be at. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I need things to be excellent. Um, so that's one of the good things about working with Micah is he's like the same kind of person of like, you know, he's just going to think about it all night. Mm. Um, and like, we've, we've talked about this, like kind of unofficially, like, uh, part of what makes us good at what we do is being like obsessive compulsive, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we can't let it go. You yeah. Know? I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's hard to figure out how you're going to bring somebody into a system like that. Um, mm-hmm. so we're working on it, trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. but yeah. So has the, like the nucleus of love and science has that changed over the years or has it are you pretty consistent with how you started eight years ago it's been pretty consistent i think the big change was adding advertising which just Mm. kind of blew up for us so like because we started in this 
focused way around data and optimization, um, it was very easy for us to apply that to this channel. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is like the the barrier to entry to all this stuff is low. You know, mm-hmm. anybody can say they do any of this stuff, but because we had that particular like stance, which to me is like the obvious stance, like why would you not um, start with data and optimization? Like mm-hmm. if you're going to advertise, but um, it actually really set us apart. Mm. So, you know, we'd be taking over somebody's account and you just see the numbers go through the roof. We ended up getting like um, picked up, you know, Google, we got on Google's radar. We ended up in this weird special program for like 50, 50 agencies in North America, including Mexico and Canada, Ooh. all around the advertising stuff. And um, Wait a second. Wow. Google picked you up at, for as one of 50? In Canada, America, and Mexico. Yeah. To what? What was the program? What was the? Was what were they piloting? Weird. And how do they find you? Just our, you know, because we have our accounts associated with our, like, you know, management account, and so once again, access to data uh, revealed us to them. <laughs> so you were helping companies or entities with their digital strategy. In advertising, mm-hmm. and it was working, and there's some beneath the surface link back to love and science, and Google could tell, ooh, these companies are having yeah. better results because they're working with love and science? Yeah, so they're looking at mm-hmm. our portfolio as a whole and our numbers. Mm-hmm. So like our, you know, the growth of the accounts, the results of the accounts, just like the completeness and the knowledge there. Like, um, So they they brought us and like a handful of other agencies together basically to try to figure out how to uh how to help us kind of lead I guess the it was a very weird program like I I talked to them about it several times I'm just like what exactly are you trying to do here Mm. Mm. (laughs) it was just a weird like under the radar oddball thing Mm. but um what I understand about it was they essentially wanted these handful of companies to grow because the results were very good so what they um you know, for Google, like the same thing that helps us to stand out, you know, when the barrier to entry is low is like bad for Google, right? So if anybody out there starts advertising and they don't see good results, that's not good for Google. I see. They okay. want the best possible results. Yeah. And, um, you know, what Google does now is like they're moving deeper and deeper into automation and machine learning because they, you know, everything's about results. They want the user to get the best possible thing from their experience with Google. And that goes for searchers and advertisers. Like Mm. they want the best results for advertisers. They need to make sure that the results that show up for advertisers are the best possible thing for the user. So, um, you know, they're always working on trying to automate that and basically Mm. put people like me out of a job. Mm. Um, but what Google really can't do is, um, they can't sit down with every business and understand what that business is all about and where right. that business needs to go. Yeah. Um, and even just connecting the data points of like, well, because, you know, you go set up an account and somebody tells you, this is what I want. I want people to sign up for my email. And you're like, well, you're an e-commerce company. Wouldn't you rather they bought something? You mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people come in with the weirdest ideas you've ever heard. Yeah. And uh, if you're just taking orders and you're not working with them on the strategy side, gotcha. that's not going to have the same impact for that business. That business isn't going to have the same feeling about their results. Yes. And um, yeah, so that that happened and that was cool. And then kind of out this out the end of that, 
uh, we became a premier partner with Google. Mm. And uh, I don't know, I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that we're probably one of, if not the smallest company that it has that mm. status. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're like, we're four people. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are other premier partners in Nashville and stuff, but like they're, you know, they're big companies usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Have they extended it much beyond 50 now to be a premier partner? Oh, yeah. Premier partners are, I don't know how many there are, but there's a ton of premier partners. Okay. That little program was like a weird special thing that they just kind of like pinged us to be a part of. Gotcha. We, we were part of their weird, they had a whole pilot around like having like these very intense, dedicated teams. Like we were, you know, talking to Google every day. It was a... Uh, it was pretty intense. I see. When was that? Probably two years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. That recent, huh? Yeah, two or three years ago. Wow. So what would be like the thing that people would most benefit from by working with Love and Science now? I want to say optimization, like in okay. general, optimization of these these systems. So like okay. whatever it is digitally that we're going to get involved in, we are going to optimize it and improve the results mm. and not just like one time. Like mm-hmm. we want to improve incrementally. And that's probably the most frustrating thing of our job now is like we see there's a path to keep going and people get like satisfied with where we land. So, you know, you, oh, <laughs> you, you okay. do a project with somebody, you have an engagement and they, they're like, oh, wow, you know, I had no idea we could do 50% more. I see. Than we were doing. And then they just are happy. And you're yeah. bringing them new stuff. And they're just like, oh, yeah, maybe we'll think about that. But yep. they're so happy with that. And whether that that's traffic or email leads or sales, I guess that's part of the strategy, right? It's figuring out what is the objective. What do you want more of? Yeah. And the objective is almost always around conversion. You know, like what what is it that they... Because we'll have people come to us and say they want X. But you're like, well, why do you want X? Like, what is it that you actually want? Because a lot of times they'll come to you and say, we really need more traffic. But that's not necessarily mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. You know, they what is their actual business goal? Are they trying to increase their sales by 20% this year? You know, and they think in their minds, well, if I just get more traffic, then it'll move me towards this goal. But we'll want to get into, well, what is that goal? Mm-hmm. And how bad is this experience for a user? Maybe you could get 20% growth just hanging out where you're at right now. And mm-hmm. we can slowly bring, you know, really qualified users in to make mm-hmm. that change. Or, um, yes, yeah, so we try to get into the actual business requirement, get into the headspace of like the user. Um, what do they want and they need? You know, how do we talk to them? That's another one that, you know, businesses just do really badly a lot of the times is um how do I talk to these people mm. um a friend of mine likes to say your brand is boring mm. and I just couldn't agree more like okay. you know the really yeah. good brands they aren't just a brand like they are how you become something else you know like mm. Nike makes you cool right like Nike is alongside you to help you be cool yeah like how do you yes. play into their story and it's just something that uh businesses don't think about, um, at least in the space that we play in. We're usually small to mid-sized businesses. You know, okay. a, a huge business doesn't need us because they've got a team of like God knows how many people yep. who is their entire job to just sit there and look at this stuff. But, yep. you know, small to mid-sized businesses, they don't have, they're not collecting the right data. They don't have access to it. They don't know how to analyze it. 
Um, you know, and, and so we can really make a huge impact on those Mm -hmm. people. Do you get some pushback from these, the leaders in these businesses, C-suite maybe, or the people running them? Do you get some pushback in that? Like, look, you got, we just need some optimization here. We don't need you involved with the strategy and like stay in your lane. We've got this handled. We just need a little something over here. Do you get that uh, a lot? Uh, we get that if we don't work with the C-suite. If we work with the C-suite, they are thrilled. Um, Uh, So we try to stay at that level. But it's the like, if we end up, you know, and this is not true of everybody, but the place where we'll get kind of in a weird spot is if you've got like a, you know, a marketer or whatever in-house and they just need a little help with this particular thing um, or they think that, you know, or they feel threatened or whatever. But we don't have any desire to... uh, to like get rid of somebody's department. We're just trying to make everything work better. You know, we want to see better results. And, um, you know, you'd asked when you started, you asked how this thing was affecting us, the coronavirus stuff. And it is definitely affecting us because some of our clients are affected, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, I've been kind of amazed and again, just grateful uh, that we don't, we don't end up trapped because for the most part, like we're paying for ourselves and then some, you know, mm-hmm. our channel is making people money. Yep. Um, and then our knowledge of the data and our ability to strategize means that we can help people navigate this and pivot quickly and identify trends and, you know, things that they could not do as easily without us if they haven't yep. built that practice in house. I, I mean, it's all we do. So, you know, right. building that practice in house sounds real good, but without the exposure to other brands and other industries and all this stuff that we're able to bring in, um, it's hard to abstract like right. what it is that you could do to make that change. Yes. What percentage of the businesses that come to you for some help, what percentages are their leaders um, relatively, like are they a beginner level in in this digital content strategy all of this like is there a lot of hand holding you do a lot of educating you gotta do or are most of the business leaders coming to you the actual leaders themselves pretty up on digital marketing people are are generally pretty up on it um it's a weird it's a mixed bag you just never know what you're gonna get and sometimes the hardest time is like if somebody feels they have knowledge in space um, if you're not freaking doing it every day, you're just getting left behind, you know? Yeah. Um, even with Google, like somebody will think, oh, I can do this. Google just rolled out this product. And you're like, well, actually it's gone. Or, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's shifting yeah. and changing in this way and that way. And like, yeah. well, we've already done that and it doesn't work the way Google wants it to work. Maybe it will in six months, but not yet. You know, all that knowledge, like you just, if it's not what you're doing every day, it's just, you're just not going to know. I see. Um, So it's, um, and and it always kind of depends because, you know, I might talk to somebody, it's like, well, five years ago I ran this campaign. It was awesome. And it's like, well, it's probably not going to be awesome if we try to run this campaign that you've defined in this particular way. Um, But we don't have, you know, um, uh, again, just feel blessed. We don't have that. We don't butt up against that that much because Mm -hmm. we have very strong referrals So when somebody comes to us, it's because someone else is like, I worked with these guys and it was crazy. They transformed the business or they did X or Y or like just let them do what they're going to do. And, you know, I think it's really useful for us to have the basis in data because now we're not just saying, hey, you should try this. We're Mm -hmm. saying, hey, all of this stuff says that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it makes it pretty easy to make those those, uh, 
makes those conversations smoother. And, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to be able to test it. We're going to be yeah. able to tell them if it worked or it didn't work, you know? Yeah. So like, it's not just everybody wondering, okay, well they said to do this and we're just kind of riding it out and see what happens. Like we're telling them what the results are, you yes. know, and we're monitoring ourselves and we're setting them up with dashboards so they can know. Mm. Um, and they're going to, you know, they see the impact on their bottom line and they're able to determine whether or not it made sense. And yeah. Yep. Since we like being long term, it's in our best interest to drive those results. If yes. we don't, then we're going to get cut. Sure. Well, that's how we found you guys. It was through a referral. I forget who it was, but whoever it was was extremely pleased with you guys. Uh, and I don't know, well, probably in 14 or 15, 2014 or 15-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's through a referral. What kinds of, are there particular industries or geographic locations? Like, do you do a lot of work mostly in Nashville or... Just by virtue of being in Nashville, we pick up a lot of Nashville work. But okay. I mean, we have clients in LA. Um, we've had clients, you know, we've had clients sort of all over the place. And mm. sometimes it's like, how the heck did these people find out about us? Yeah. You know, like, I don't, I, we've had like this random company contact us from Chicago a couple of years ago. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to ask them, like, well, how did you find out? And it's like these, you know, these like connections out in the ether and I can never like bring it back to like whatever person it was, which Mm. man, just like, thank you Lord for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Um, we have, we have really tried not to get too tight into an industry, Mm -hmm. um, which again, you know, it's not, maybe not the best thing for a business to not be in a niche, but, Mm -hmm. uh, we love having broad problems. Mm. And when you're working in a bunch of different industries and you can abstract knowledge that's like universal across industries, like that is so valuable to yeah. me. Like that's yeah. my favorite thing is being able to say, this is like, this appears to be universally true. If we do this, it's going to impact I this see. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I love that. Um, yeah. But that said, you know, we, we do a lot of work in healthcare, a lot of work in automotive Mm. Um, we've done, you know, a lot of software, like software as a service, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, e-commerce. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think you guys are badasses and badasses like a good challenge, you know? So if you are getting into different industries, um, y- you know, and looking for pattern recognition and looking for a new challenge and figuring out what works, I mean, I'm not, I'm not shocked that you guys like to kind of <laughs> spread the net broad. Um, so if you are so, um, and it's one of the things where just a couple of times having, you know, spun up a website for a new business or whatever is I always really appreciate the, the content writers or the designers, developers that, uh, take some time to learn about the industry and everything. Cause it's one of the things like, I think the, the, the bad ones do really poorly in that, <clears throat> They don't know anything about selling cars, you know. Um, they don't really. They're just spinning up a website today for someone who's selling cars. Tomorrow it's someone in healthcare. The next day it's a dentist. The next day it's, you know, and using some of the same copy and just like, yeah, like let's do this right, you know. Let's let's get in. What do the customers? Who's the demographic? How should they be talked to? You know, doing doing it right, but. But you guys really aren't there that much, right? Because you're kind of at the next level where someone has a business and they want to optimize it. They're coming to you for some results. Like that's more what you're dealing with. We actually do. Um, 
I should know these percentages because thanks, Quick QuickBooks. Um, but we do a lot of work uh, either in the prep work for launching something new or in the work of like transitioning from one site to the next or mm. one brand name to the next. Um, and I think that's in, in some ways is where some of our like we offer some of the most value. So like, for example, we, um, we helped to launch a site last month. So we're going into coronavirus. We're going into all kinds of mess. And that site's organic. Like our, our purpose was they didn't want to lose organic. So mm. since launching, the organic increased by 30%. You know? Oh, wow. Um, and when I was working in agencies, like it was common practice to tell people like, Oh uh, yeah, when we launch the new site, it's going to take a couple months before you're like back up and running and all this nonsense. This just like, I always heard that the why, mm-hmm. you know, can't we plan for this? Mm-hmm. So that it's not just like you're destroying someone's business with a new website. Like right. they rely on that site for all this stuff. And you're going to tell them like, yeah, it's just going to disappear for two like months. Like SEO value is just going to disappear yeah. for two months. Right. Yeah, and it's just nonsense. It's not true. Doesn't have to be that Doesn't way. Doesn't have to be that way. Okay. Um, but it's a super weird, you know, it's still something that people say, hmm. you know, it's just really, really strange. Um, or like, you know, we helped launch another new website and we spent a lot of time. Um, so like, this is going to just get so weird and boring. Um, <laughs> there's all these taxonomies on the web, right? There's these entities that are understood in certain ways and have all these like, Tentacles, you know, you mm-hmm. have all these related topics and concepts, and um, they these things exist and can be leveraged, right? So, if somebody wants to launch a new business, a new product, there's so much data available, you know, about how people search for it, what are the concepts they care about, what are their questions about this type of mm-hmm. product, you know, all this stuff. So, we'll spend all this time kind of putting together what that system looks like, which then would help them to define like their architecture on the site. It would help them to define oh, the, the type of content, the way they talk about a, you know, a specific product or category of products, like um, even down to, you know, these are the words people are using um, and the fears, like the underlying fears or concerns or, you know, what is it that they're worried about um, and how do we, how do we, um, you know, it really comes back to, I guess, conversion, conversion optimization. Mm -hmm. Like how do I help a person walk through that process, answer their questions at the right moment so that there's nothing that stops them from completing that purchase. Right. So it's good for the business because they're completing the purchase. It's good for the user because you've given them everything they need, not too much, Mm -hmm. everything they need to like make that decision. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's, that's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do that kind of work. Um, I love getting into that decision-making process and how you streamline that, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's like your checkout process on an e-com site or just, um, how do I, how do I speak to like every stage of the sales funnel in two paragraphs to like get someone, get someone while they're still in that emotional decision-making state to make the decision before they kick over into their rational, like logical analysis mode. Yes. You know, and what do you do to keep them from flipping over into analysis mode before they make that decision, you know, before you've captured them. Right. So that stuff is just a ton of fun. Yeah. Fascinating. How, um, how many of your clients have the ultimate goal of buying right on the site? And then otherwise I assume it's, the goal is to 
leave an email or to download a PDF or something like that. But how many like are actually looking to buy? Because e-commerce has obviously gotten a lot more common in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, the bulk of our clients want a lead, whether it's, um, well, a lead or, or a purchase. Um, probably, you know, we have like some strategy type clients that, you know, it's a little bit more about building building their business and their brand and maybe getting more emails and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, especially when it comes to advertising, we're pretty hyper-focused on lead generation or purchases. I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you seeing Facebook starting to replace Google AdWords or does it just depend on the demographic? So the big difference there is... Um, Google ads are fantastic for conversion because they're an interrupt. Well, they're not an interruption. They're an answer to a query. Like I am actively searching for a solution and I'm inserting that solution into an ad. Whereas on Facebook, you can kind of, um, you can kind of get that from like audience level stuff where it's like, well, people in this audience probably like this or may Mm, want X. Like the intentionality is not there. So Facebook, Instagram, those are better places for, and there are, they can be really great for e-com, especially with like lower price points um, where you're just interrupting somebody with an idea. You can get pretty good with demographics of like this type of person is going to want this. I see. Um, but, uh, but if you're just talking like you want to get conversions, like we almost always start with Google. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What, uh, what's like on the cutting edge right now in your field? What are you paying attention to that you're not necessarily implementing for everybody or dabbling with or excited about? Um, programmatic and OTT are just really crazy. Um, but I, I say cut, they're not exactly cutting edge. They're not exactly new. Um, and I'm wondering where they're going to go uh, because they're in a way unregulated. So like all the all of the limitations that are imposed on you by Google are like not necessarily imposed on you by these kind of big um, exchanges, essentially. What what are what is that? I'm not familiar. So it's like OTT would be like um, you know buying inventory on like streaming video stuff like that, and uh, programmatic in general is just like it's it's buying ad inventory. But it's not buying it from Google. I mean, some of them will include like Google inventory, but it's like you know display. Um, and so part of programmatic geofencing is one of the weirdest, like most terrifying technologies there is. Like you can literally, yeah, you can literally draw like a, if you wanted to just target truck drivers that work for CVS or whatever, you can like sit there and draw a line, draw a box around like the docks at a CVS and they're going (laughs) to, and you'll be able to like, essentially, uh, if they pass through that that fence, then you're going to like, yeah, now you're going to be able to advertise to them so specifically. And then on top of that, they go home and they connect to their Wi-Fi, and now their entire network is essentially infected and you can just advertise to them, to their, to their home, their family. Holy cow. Yeah. So I I mean, I I see how you, you can, you have a better understanding of the dark side here than I do for sure. (laughs) Wow. Or, or. Now this cannot be legal, but or you could put a geofence around a church, and and then hit market or whatever you do, and you and you market to the people that go to that church. Yeah, 
That's can legal. We do that? Well, so they're getting a little bit more specific. So like, for instance, um, you can't do much in like behavioral health at this point, like mental health mm. stuff is getting super can't locked down. Can't you offense a, uh, a, a therapist, for example? Right. So like they, um, but there is not really like a regulation, like there's no governing body that tells you you can't do it. Like Google will tell you you can't do it. So Google actually mm. with behavioral health in particular, Google like just laid the law down several years ago and they said, you can't do this anymore. I see. And uh, all these guys just got kicked off of advertising. They said no capacity to advertise anymore. And Mm. then Google basically put in place like, okay, now you got to go to this, this little company on the West coast to get certified. You have to pay thousands of dollars per location to go through the certification process. Then, then, then we'll let you back on the advertising platform or like they're doing it now with computer repair, so, like, you can't advertise computer repairs on Google. You can't do it. Just not possible. And they're... Because they're, there were so many scam That's ones, their thought process hacks. is, like, they, yeah, they don't, they don't have a system for verifying whether or not you're legit. So, they just said no. Yeah. So, um, so Google's, like, very on it. Facebook is close behind. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, actually, maybe worse in some, in some capacities. They may be a little worse. Um, but then this world of programmatic and buying this inventory is kind of unregulated and you can still pull off a lot of weird stuff there. But we're hearing more frequently from like the geofencing like platforms and stuff. Oh, no, you can't do behavioral health or we won't let you do X, Y, Z. When you do that geofence, does it catch people that come in and out of that territory or that box from that point going forward? Or is it retroactive to whoever happened to go through that specific box in the last six months or six years or it's going forward okay um i wonder if there's i mean you saying that just scares me because i wonder if there's some way to to, to, if they can actually do it in a reverse engineered way but you're you're basically like dropping something on them you know um so they're carrying this around because they passed through so like you might use it like um if you've got a billboard uh on the highway you can fence that part of the highway so that if somebody saw that billboard or you can make the assumption that they saw that billboard, you're going to follow cow. up with them. I know it's super messed up, right? This but is what why about if I'm it's an, on an interstate that's super highly trafficked? You can do that? Yeah. Anyone that goes through there? Well, I mean, like you'd have to, you know, you have to have your phone. You'd have right. to, you know, like they're using all kinds of different ways of grabbing yeah. that or placing that. Phone would know? be the most, uh, the most popular, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pretty much, it's got to be your phone. Got to be phone. Okay. So like your laptop closed in the back seat, that's probably not going to pick up on probably that? Probably not. I mean, okay. they're using like apps and stuff. You're using this app. So that app is on and you're wow, picking it up. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's all very, very, yeah, it's very crazy. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully we keep our our checks and balances. Hopefully we keep this whole thing protected because, dang, it's going to go sideways fast yeah. if it ever goes sideways. You have a really positive attitude, that hopeful. Well, that hopeful, yeah. I that don't optim- feel hopeful at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my optimism is, I yeah. feel like it's taken a little bit of a beating today. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll still have my uh, smartphone and um, <clears throat> fascinating. When you have... Um, your clients, do you only go up to a certain amount of clients? Because if you get beyond that, you can't really do them service. You know what I mean? Like you got to, there's like, this is an ongoing thing. It sounds like, so are you guys tapped out right now? Or if one of my friends calls you from New York state, you'd 
you know, are you taking new clients right now or no? We're t- taking new clients right now, especially because we're trying to prep for whatever is coming next. Um, and we do a lot of like project work as well as like ongoing clients. Mm. So we have capacity for more ongoing clients. We've never really like totally tapped out on that. Um, we're not actively looking for clients, mm-hmm. so that's part of the deal. Um, so it's it's just stayed at a really nice natural state. I see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the the project work, we can always work it in. Sometimes people get frustrated because we'll give them like a timeline they don't like, but oh, you know, okay. we're yep. managing it all so that we can maintain. Sure. And it might be, hey, you're not going to get this until eight weeks from now or something like that. But yeah. uh, but we can we we don't like to say no. You sure. Know, we want to help people. So yep. even if it means we got to kind of schedule it out, we'll we'll usually work it out. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, congrats on that, by the way. I mean, it's no small, easy thing for a company to be around for eight years. And here you are. Sounds like you're doing well. Yeah, it is. I mean, I just have to thank God. That's mm-hmm. really... Yeah. <laughs> thank God. And I honestly think, like, thank, thankful for the faith of my parents because I frequently yeah. think, like, my parents are so faithful that I'm, like, reaping favor from them praying for right. me and trying to keep this thing up and running. Right. And yeah. like, really, like, it's kind of a racket because like all of the kids are doing it. So that's we so get, great. I love it's that. It's all focused in, like yeah. all their prayer and support is focused right. in on Yeah, us. that's true. They can just pray for the love and science team and they don't have to call out their uh, kids by name, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's just, they got it. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's an so alias great. for the Romero you family. Exactly. You don't run into that very often, a situation like you guys have. That's really cool. Yeah, I love it. Anything else you want to get into on the podcast? I don't know, man. I mean, it has to have been like 10 hours by now, right? Probably is. I have no idea. <laughs> I have this Nobody's new clock over here. It says 16.53. I can't figure out how to put on normal time. Oh, man. I'm, I'm not... so good at that now because that's like for some reason, Jesse just loves military time. Really? Oh, yeah. I never got into it. I think you go 16 minus 2 is 4.53. Yeah. But why? Why would I have to do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, why not he... just say 4.54? I think he does it because of touring and like weird hours and like okay. uh, he he has this like panicked like sense of like he's so afraid of thinking it's like eight in the morning when it's actually eight at night or whatever oh really <laughs> yeah so he likes military time because there's no confusion about yeah. which eight right it is right yeah in my emails and stuff though i always put like a or p for a or pm like i'm just like i don't want any room for you know, like I'm very specific with things like that and dates. Like some people are like, yeah, can we meet this Sunday? And, you know, I'll reply, yeah, we can meet like this Sunday, April the 13th or yeah. whatever. You know, I'm very specific with things like that. Um, I wanted to get into your uh, your upbringing and story. We might have to save that for the next for the next one. I want to have you back on, though, by the way. Awesome. If we didn't ruin the, if we didn't overextend our welcome. <laughs> I guess it depends on like how many nasty comments you get on YouTube. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, hopefully we get some, right? It means we're saying something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect any. Uh, well, this was great. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was a I total pleasure. It. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>